welcome to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for Ready Player One. My name is Tom Chick. I'm here with Christian Mlansky. Yeah, my, my dad picked that name because it sounded like a superhero's alter ego. And with a Ready Player One tagline, I am ready to hear from Kelly Wand. So that's what Spielberg's Shining would have looked like. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? Kelly Wand, this is, this, is, this is a little unprecedented. It's off to a strong start with the taglines. Normally there's a groaner at the beginning. What, what else you got oh, for us? Oh, I see what you did there. Well, some are more con- conceptual, like, oh, that's deep, Wand. Like, you're supposed to just think about it. Okay. Not that one. Okay. Uh, finally, a CG movie for nerds. Yeah, that's the one I would have expected you to lead with. <laughs> Do you I have a third? I was leading with that one, and then I go, I'll, st- I'll start with the strong, shining one. Right, right. And how are you going to finish? With a fizzle. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, like I like it to match the movie. See, uh, It's like Tron, but set in the 80s. That's okay. okay, good. Yeah, I like that one. And that wasn't a fizzle, Kelly. Oh, there's more. Okay, now comes the fizzle. All yeah, right. Now fizzle. Taps into our universal childlike wonder at the magic of licensing. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't a fizzle. That was nice and it's a very cynical one. I like that one, Kelly Wan. Yeah, that was in a groove. That was, yeah. that was a nice groove. Yeah. It's a quartet, like strange weather. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dingus, why don't you <laughs> Kelly Wan is wanting to bring up Joe Hill books. Let's move on from that and talk about the movie that we have all seen this week by having you tell the listeners what that movie is, but in a spoiler free <laughs> manner. All right. Well this week we saw Ready Player One. Mm-hmm. Oh! <laughs> Sorry, I'm really excited about this foolish picture. Continue. Of a 2018 American science fiction adventure action 3D movie about an English rock band from Manchester started by two brothers who fought a lot and eventually parted ways. It was directed by Steven Spielberg and written by Zach Penn oh, God. and Ernest Klein, oh. based on the novel of the same name by Ernest Klein. It stars Olivia Cook. Ty Sheridan, <laughs> Lena Waite, what? Mark Ryle, what? Would it help? Sorry, <laughs> Lena H. <laughs> Kelly, uh, one, you Mar- didn't save that. I was looking forward to that. Uh, you know, There's... Mark Rylance, etc. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> Philip Sh- uh, Philip Zhao, Win Morisaki. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, Hannah John Kamen, Ben Mendelson, and TJ Miller. Ready Player One is rated PG 13 for. Oh, come on. Yeah, why would that be? Come on, this should be. Sequences? For kids. Well, it has sequences of sci fi action violence, Tom. Okay. Yeah, it also, has, it also has bloody images. <laughs> what? Some suggestive material. You can't see blood till you're 13, even your own. Partial nudity. Parsifal nudity. And language. Is this the shining <laughs> stuff they're referencing? I oh, guess so. I mean, I guess that. Okay, uh, fair enough. I, I didn't even occur to me. All right. Uh, Kelly Wand, does the MPAA need to add more stuff to that? Some CG and lasers. Also, uh, numerous instances of childhoods being raped. Kelly Wand. Ooh. 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 Oh, really? Oh, wow. hey, oh well, you know what? Okay. Yes. What, Kelly Wand? <laughs> 
That's it. That was my. You know what was my. That was that was the, the entirety of the rejoinder. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, let's see. Ready Player One opened at number one. Of course, it made forty-two million dollars on its opening weekend on Metacritic, which is the average from various reviews. It's at sixty-four out of a hundred. <laughs> on Rotten Tomatoes, the percentage of reviews that are positive are seventy-four percent of them, and of these people who went to see it on its opening night, many of whom were. Uh, detained by pollsters representing CinemaScore and asked to uh, tally a grade score. And most of them, they went with, um, yeah, I liked it. And they gave it an A-. minus. <laughs> Is there another word you could use for these people other than that long, laborious thing that you said? Pollsters. I feel that what you can extrapolate from CinemaScore – is how idiots feel about a movie. Ah, yes. And they now, I myself like I, I don't I don't mean that in a judgmental sense. I'm strictly observationally, and I myself am often an idiot about lots of things. Uh, and I yeah, so there you go. It's kind of idiots that are like I am going to go see this on opening night and I'm going to then make sure to justify my purchase and my spending of a Friday evening by convincing myself that I'm having a good time, that I'm liking this movie. That's what CinemaScore is. Uh, well, idiots are the target audience for so much. Right, exactly. If I was running uh, Paramount, uh, Viacom, whatever, I would definitely say, let's make a movie for idiots. There's a lot of money in the demographic. Don't forget our base. Right, a demographic, Kelly Wand. Yeah, exactly. Uh, whatever. They're not up for an election, Calquan. It's not a Whatever, base. Mr. Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, Kelly Wan, then let's hear your take on Ready Player One. Yeah, by having you give us. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I accept your bluff. All right, then give us your Ready Player One synopsis. That's what you're going to call it? <sighs> oh, excuse me. Kelly Wan, I would like to hear the Ready Popsis One. Jesus. <laughs> you sound very disappointed in me. Yeah. Life is a series of me being disappointed in yous. <laughs> no offense. Well, Kelly Wan, you know what? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. It's a question. It, it is a weird rhetorical question. Rhetorical rejoinders. No, tell me. And then the other person has to just say what they were going to say the first time, but now they've let off with I'm not going to tell you yet. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Uh, Rhetorical (laughs) eight. Which bleeds into, wait, is that a Tarantino title? What are you doing? Go ahead. Nothing. Just moving on. I always have to know what you're talking about, even though well, you're gonna have to I wish I hadn't pursued it. It's like a greyhound bunny chase. Ready, player, whoops us. <laughs> it's way better than what I had. <laughs> Tom, I'm a professional. <laughs> Ready, player, whoops us. Some non-Hagar Van Halen plays. There's a shot of a bunch of camper trucks and RVs stacked like Jenga's. A bland kid's voice is all... The stacks. That's what we call these. Since we're the poorest, we live at the very top with the best view. Whole town had to help us get this shell up here. I mean, uh, Columbus, Ohio, the fastest growing city in Canamera, Kixico. My character name in this is Wade Watts, but my gamer tag's Parsifal, named after my favorite 80s Ludlum novel. 
My parents didn't survive the bandwidth wars of 2013. <laughs> Who knew bandwidth would be so fatal? Not them. So now I live with my Aunt Edna and her abusive white trash boyfriend Cletus, like the kid in the Dark Power movie. Wade, you spent my porn money on a CG DeLorean? Does it even time travel? Uh, well, it flies a little off screen. Cletus punches him in the face. The mom's all, Wade, stop bleeding this instant. Wade slides down the community stripper pole and finds a dark car where he gets into his gimp suit while his VO's all. Since Trump's still president and keeps accidentally nuking Washington, the world spends most of its time tuning him out in this VR MMO called Oasis. Here you can look however you want, as long as it's anime, Spielberg, or Warner Brothers snag the license before post. <laughs> Obviously no Marvel, because this is Warner Brothers, so... And out of all those decades of 80s to choose from, this is how I prefer to look in CG. A white guy with gray hair wearing some clothes walks on screen, shrugs. Uh, but just like in real life, if you die in the Oasis, your body turns into coins and you lose all your clothes. Some people of certain ethnicities take things a little seriously. There's a cut to a Japanese businessman at work as he wins a new Zarya spray paint. He screams excitedly, then runs to a window and opens it to proclaim a success to the world. But unfortunately, his rival tackles him and they tumble off screen and start making out. Oasis, or The Oasis, it's cleaner, was designed and I guess programmed by this character, James Halliday. The guy from Bridge of Spies wearing a Space Invaders t-shirt and a powdered wig stands before a lectern at E3, leans into a bundle of mics and goes, eh, <clears throat> Would it help? <laughs> he got mumps and died. But in his last days, while he was super strung out on morphine, he made us all watch his game avatar. This creepy wizard here? Watch him say this shit. A grimy wizard in a tattered yellow capsule. Hi, teens! Remember how memorable a character Willy Wonka was? Well, I can at least lift the uh, idea of holding a contest. Three keys must you find, and three contests devised by my mind. Whoever solves them first becomes a trillionaire. I mean, sorry, millionaire. And also has to spend the rest of their life doing tech support for the Oasis. Ready? Go! <laughs> Oh, sorry. Uh, the first contest is a race through the classic 80s video game setting of 1930s New York City. A uh, race partially inspired by the initially panned but now widely forgotten foxtail bicycling sequence from 2018's Tomb Raider. Also, you have to use cars. Also, my wizard name's Anorak. It's an anagram for nothing. <laughs> Everybody got excited, especially these guys, the LOL Corporation. There's some ominous shots. <laughs> that, fr that acronym will never mean the same to me now because it's so menacing. <laughs> some ominous shots of corporate guys in evil black VR suits sitting there ominously at consoles and pretending to make three-point turns at the same time. 
Wade's all. Obviously, totally the opposite of everything hacking stands for and Warner Brothers. Anyway, here's what the first race was like, or maybe this was one of the ones later. I'm not listening. Millions of cars from 80s movies and stuff like 80s movies jammed together arbitrarily at the starting line. From Christine, the Mach 5 and the Damnation Alley RV, to the family truckster from Vacation, the steamroller from Fish Called Wanda, the Sphere from Sphere, the Sphere from Event Horizon, and a dune buggy with Tom Hardy glaring annoyed in a metal mask chained to the hood. <laughs> a nerd driving a dump truck full of cow manure next to Biff's car scowls down at Wade's DeLorean. <laughs> Mine Suttler! <laughs> Wade looks over at the other driver beside him. Oh, shit. It's the only girl character I've ever talked to in game. Artemis. <laughs> Wouldn't mind Blade Runner 2049 and a little of that sweet dark shit. I said go. Maybe <laughs> I said would it help. <sighs> a bunch of CG with cars and King Kong happens. <laughs> that's kind of how the book read <clears throat> Wade loses interest shortly before the finish line and parks while Kong yawns at <laughs> soon Artemis appears a strider classic Owen Wilson scooter from Bottle Rocket I guess all the other contestants are dead. Inspired by his favorite Star Wars character, Rose Tico, Wade abruptly loses faith in Artemis' abilities, and as she putters past, yanks her off her scooter and drags her across the pavement so she has to sit in his lap. She's a (laughs) thanks asshole. She tries to kill him with her helmet, but her arm's too broken. Uh, It's pronounced Parsifal? Like the mosaic? (laughs) Ben Foster? Also, I just saved your life, so he farts nervously. We don't die in the Oasis, fool. It's not the Matrix. Uh, well, at least I saved your... Uh, they watch his Kong chomps on her bike. Uh, helmet? He tosses her helmet off the cliff. Wait, why'd I throw it? Sorry, nervous. He takes her purse and throws it over. His VO's all. And that's how I first started stalking What's-Her-Face. Although I also have this black friend, Chutch. Here, uh, see? Here he is on planet Doom, the most dangerous planet in the Oasis after planet Coldcept. Uh, and occasionally I wave over at these two Asian players, meow meow and short round. Yep, we're like a Vin Diesel family. I have zero other friends. I look over at Meryl humming beside me and go, <laughs> oh, God. Gee, that race shit was cool. Cars, not ethnicities. I hope the whole movie's like that, not all Matrix revolutions-y. She says something well acted. Meanwhile, Wade drags Artemis <laughs> by the poop to make her come gawk at his garage CG. Wow, this is where you pretend to live? Oh, it's so featureless. Yep, I got everything from Captain Crunch's uh, liver to the CG plastic model of the legendary Sirocco from the motion picture Alien. Beside me, James Cameron's all, what? Sirocco's not from the first? A row ahead of us, Ridley Scott's all, ha ha. He feels up Catherine. (laughs) (laughs) Triumphantly. Artemis is all, well, at least your avatar's acne is barely visible in here since it's so dark. Quick, what was Halle's favorite music video? <laughs> Same as everyone's, Lionel Richie's Hello. Favorite movie and band, Creed. Favorite Lord of the Rings character, Sauron. Favorite D&D class, Swamp Druid. Second favorite, Unicorn Rider. Third favorite, Pest Controller. Favorite Spielberg movie is Sugarland Express. Favorite Conan Momoa. She's all favorite Corleone, the mom. 
He's all favorite WKRP up, the one where Herb and Mr. Carlson, she's all murder a bunch of people throwing turkeys out of a helicopter. They almost kiss, then lose interest. She's all meet me tomorrow night at the floaty globe. By the way, Holiday hated rules. He said his favorite way to play Monopoly was just take all the money, shoot his family members, and walk off. She walks off. Wade's all, hmm, rules, eh? The next day, at the starting line of the next race, which I guess is a daily event, even though everybody loses their cars to King Kong every time. Wade's all, <laughs> wait a sec, that's it. Halliday hated rules, just like Bill and Ted. That obviously meant drive backwards once the race starts. <sighs> what genius, him and me. He drives in reverse and goes through an underground tunnel that's somehow beneath the actual race, even though all the other cars drove forwards. This leads to a parking lot with a statue and some grass. He somehow knows is the finish line. The multi-wizard appears and goes, nice work. You really are like Bill and Ted. Verbally, behold the bronze key. The wizard gives him a key and turns into snot-colored pixels. Wade's all, whoa. Beside me, (laughs) that puzzle was stupid. (laughs) meanwhile in a back lot the head of lol whose avatar i think is supposed to be either the biker guy from full throttle or robert forrester is all that damn kid's ruining everything the oasis needs more pop-up ads T.J. Miller walks up. His avatar is Goldie Hawn from Death Becomes Her. He has a whole... (laughs) 80s? Well, no. He's all... My character has a bad back. My gamer tags Iraq. I'm in the book. It's been two years since I tried to finish it. Meanwhile, in the CG store, like where you buy it, the newly enriched Wade, I guess you win money along with the key, slaps Chuch's eye excitedly and goes, Oh, look, a Zemeckis cube. Oh, should I get that or this blender from Goonies? So glad I didn't pay my stupid stepfather back. Isn't it fun watching me buy shit? Chuch is all, yeah. A nearby nerd avatar is all, hey, look, it's Parsifal. He figured out what reverse means. Let's shout near him. Uh. (laughs) Tars Tarkas, John Carter's Martian buddy, somehow leads Wade out of the throng and turns into a baby alien that turns into Artemis. Wade's all, oh, you. A robot butler's all, hello, I think I'm the bartender from Passengers or Jarvis. And in this swing, you'll find recordings of all of Master Halliday's shits. Audio only, I'm afraid. <laughs> Artemis is all, hmm, audio. That's it. Halliday's biggest fear was kissing a girl. <laughs> that is preposterous. JK, I believe the exposition you kids are searching for is in this cubicle. Master Halliday recorded all of his conversations with interns. Wade's all, even before he was famous. Last <laughs> <laughs> second, right. Wade's all, whoa, is that Simon Pegg? Oh. oh, I wonder what is, I guess that's a Simon Pegg avatar. She's all, yeah, I predict this is his meatiest role ever. Watch. Here's a latte. Hey, bro, how was your date with character last night? <laughs> 
And she wanted to have sex, and we watched a movie. You know, someday I should make the second clue to a game be about someone who hates his own creation. You call this a latte? Artemis is all. Hmm, creator who hates his own creation. Let's see, DVD section, hates their own creation, blah, 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 Frankenstein, Catherine Heigl, George Lucas, Star Wars Christmas special, complete works of Alan Smithy, none of these apply. Wait, look, Kubrick's The Shining from 1980. Stephen King thought the movie was dumb, so he made a TV miniseries in the 90s with Rebecca De Mornay and the guy from Wings. <laughs> they showed us. Wade's all. Uh, the Shining movie wasn't Stephen King's creation. It was Cube. Chuck walks up and goes, I've only been to private. I don't know what it is about screaming that makes lines harder to say. Shining movie wasn't Stephen King's creation. It was Cube. I've only been to planet shining through my fingers. Wade's all, okay, you go in first. Ten minutes later, Chutch stands in a creepy bathroom <laughs> with blood on his cravats all. I see the boys enlisted some outside interference. A nigga cook. Chutch is all, what the fuck, a racist ghost on an Indian burial ground? What's any of this got to do with the moon landing? What the? A guy in a dog <laughs> Kind of dog mask blowing a 1920s flapper on a bed looks up at him. Ears. <laughs> Chuch runs into room 237 and watches a PG 13 naked chick come out of a bathtub with unspecified reaction. Unfortunately, he notices her reflection on, so he's barely able to finish. He runs to the elevators and goes, Hmm, I wonder what King thinks of this part of Ready Player One. He hits the up arrow, the bell ticks, a bunch of blood shows up and annoys him as I look over beside me and see Jaden shuddering and frothing at the mouth. <laughs> see their inner <laughs> He would have been good in that role. Wade's all... Chuch, quit goofing around. Look, we found the clue. He and Artemis point to some green hot advancing ghost dancing above a dark pit. Chuch is all, I don't remember this in The Shining. Artemis is all, shh, no, it's from some zombie game Ernest Klein forgets the name of. <laughs> Wait, so the zombie game designer hated his create? Artemis, shh, 18th century dancing. That was Halliday's biggest fear. Wade's all, I thought it was kissing, so I guess you should kiss one of the... You guys go run from the twins while I do this. We're a team now, by the way. She jumps across rocks to go with a tired, depressed avatar of a blonde girl Halliday saw once. She's all, please kill me. This is a nightmare. Dancing forever with zombies. Oh, fucking Halliday. It's like a Black Mirror episode. Artemis raises her hand and goes, <clears throat> Prithee, wouldst thou dance with me, my lord? The old later turns it to the filthy yellow wizard. He leers glumly and goes, Congratulations, player! Artemis. Here's your second bronze key. Yeah. He gives her a key, looks at us uncertainly, and walks off. Later, at LOL headquarters, the boss scowls at his assistant, that chick from Cliffhanger and Northern Exposure. Then at his hundred employees in VR goggles, screaming and acting and electrocuted. She's all, yeah, they're trying to finish the Shining quest. I guess it's hard to outrun Limping Nicholson and asking a blonde chick to dance. 
Uh, what about that guy? He's stuck in the freezer. He's waiting for uh, Grady to let him out. So, <laughs> Meanwhile, in Wade's garage CG, dude, you can't go on your date with Artemis's manimal. That's trying too hard. Uh, yeah? How about this? Wade transforms into the sheriff from Porky's. Uh, uh, or better yet, this, the hero of my favorite 80s sci-fi adventure. That night at the floaty globe, Wade's all, oh, wow, you came as Tootie from Facts of Life, but in Dustin Hoffman's dress from Tootsie. <laughs> She's all, and you're, uh, I'm Heather Thomas's boob. There's CG dances for a while. She's all, by the way, the wizard emailed everybody that the third clue's hidden in a 2600 game. That's literally the entire clue. Also, here's your prize for me solving the shining dance puzzle for you. She adds him a quarter that says Deus Ex Machina on the tails side and has Halliday's wincing profile on the, on the head side. In Latin, under his profile is written, non est auxilium? Question mark. Uh, see? Jokes you have to Google. Oh, Artemis, I want you to hand me quarters in real life. Wait, no, I'm hideous in RL. We almost got an R rating. If you thought Rachel Lee Cook and She's All That was disgusting with paint on her overwalls, suddenly the LOL guys show up and murder everybody. <laughs> Wait, so don't worry, Artemis. I got this. Not even LOL thugs have an answer for a 10-second lead. He takes the stickers off the Zemeckis cube and pops the pieces out and finally manages to get one side done. Time rewind. <laughs> seconds. Gives them time to leave and watch the massacre replay all over again from across the street. Artemis is all. Why didn't the cube affect me too? Wait, which Zemeckis movie had cubes? How come CG drones are out? Meanwhile, the next day, at the evil black head offices of LOLHQ, Wade's all. All right, Mr. Uh, what's your guy's name in this? Sorrento? Ridley Scott's all. Yeah, the ship from Alien! Ha! <laughs> Cameron sticks his lower lip out, sulks. Wade Paul. I've always considered you people corporate and evil. When you guys shot up that nightclub last night, I did become intrigued. The LOL guy's all, hey, bro, I'm totes with it, man. Peace. Tippy Canoe and Tyler, too. A nerd in a headset room's all, ah, you and I should jam to Great White after we play a little Simon and catch the new Epi Falcon Crest. Uh, you Falcon Crest, uh, jerk off to square pegs. What the fuck, Gary? Hey, uh, I mean, uh, hey, Daddy O, we should make all the schools into Breakfast Club detention centers. Yeah, and all proms like Carrie's. That's what I do with a trillion dollars. Also, tab. Wait, oh, yeah, at the prom, which Heather would I telekinetically violate? Locklear or Shannon Doherty? It's a trick. Doherty was in Heather's. Thomas was in Zap. Locklear dated Bayo, who was also in Zap. Uh, Doherty dated uh, Zap. Uh, hey, man. Uh, turtles eating pizza. Nah, 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 nah. Hit that special. Most <laughs> of Orion. Whew, boy, that gold monkey had a lot of tails. <laughs> You're holding your earpiece in your hand up to your mouth and whispering into it. How dumb do you think I am? T.J. Miller's skeleton walks in and goes, don't worry, I have a plan that'll get him on our side, blowing up his parents. Also, my back still hurts. Wade's all, what the? He runs off, frantically trying to call his step-aunt. Hello, Cletus, do I even still live with you? I thought I was rich now. 
buying cubes. The stepdad's on. Damn it, Wade, I hope I die before this conversation's over. I guess you could say I'm about to explode with anger. He goes out of this fade for a few minutes until his meth lab explodes, and LOL's drones show up and shoot at the ruins a couple times. Hours later, in Artemis's RL room. Oh, Artemis. I mean, Artie? I mean, thanks for letting me crash your NRL instead of accompanying me to the police to report my aunt's murder, which was Chuch's stupid idea. And I don't even think of a barely visible birthmark shaped like President Taft. At least you have tiny contains hair color. Besides, we both have fun secret. I have three urethras. Look, he drops his pants. She stares in horror, then starts vomiting. The black lady from Master of None comes in, miss wearing a baseball cap and goes, I'm here too. Chutch. Oh, what's this? I'm just your black friend. But here at RL, I'm uh, your asexual black female acquaintance. Wade's all, wait, you warned me Artemis might be a dude named Chuck, but you're a chick named Chutch. And that night we compared Punky Brewster's ass to Autumn's. Chutch is all, I meant every other word. An Asian guy, Asian kid walk in and go, we're your Asian friends in Oasis. The twist here is also really Asian in RL and no martial arts. <laughs> TJ Miller's skeleton guy walks in and goes, NRL, I'm also a metal skeleton with a hole in him. Some LOL guys come in and start poorly shooting at everybody and each other. Artemis is all, here, inside my wall, there's a tunnel that goes somewhere unspecified. As they all go, she shuts the door on them. Wade's all, wait, what? You're staying? This seems unmotivated. I mean, they blew up my family and I didn't even like, shh, you're too important to the resistance. Yeah, good point. Bye. Artemis is kept <laughs> to home with prison where they make her avatar plant depth charges on some concrete that will eventually do nothing. The LOL guy sits on the parapet of LOL's evil castle in the Oasis, watches a YouTube walkthrough, then makes Spock's hand gesture and goes, <clears throat> A Wata Goose I am? A giant siege orb encloses the castle. TJ Miller's all, Ah, the orb of Mutara Nebula. That'll stop the masses from bothering us while your interns play through all the 2600 games for the third clue. Now nothing can stop us unless Parsifal makes a speech or something. DLL writes all. Yes. TJ Miller's all. Speaking of which, we have his girlfriend, the one who actually solved the Shining puzzle in three seconds. Maybe we should be interrogating her instead of just dumping her somewhere. There's no escape lever from her phone booth that's in the booth she's in. There with her. <laughs> <laughs> she could literally just take the goggles off and get out from a knob. <laughs> That'd be stupid of us. LOL guy's all, you. Down in the mailroom, an LOL guy with a clipboard by a whiteboard faces bored interns, raises some 2600 cartridges, and goes, Okay, who's got ET? Sorry, bro. Hey, you're a frogger. Who wants Moon Patrol? Anyone? Anyone at all? Crowded room. The rascally angst of the bunch is all. Hey, yo, white boy, I want some more fucking dodge him, bitch. <laughs> uh, we have combat. Halliday once called it worth the price. <laughs> the smart girl, who looks confusingly similar to Artemis, is all. Adventure! But everyone yawns at her and the word. Meanwhile, 
Wade somehow hacks every monitor screen on Earth, clears his throat, and goes, <clears throat> uh, hi, gamers? Um, yeah. It's me, uh, Parsifal Wade, Wade Watts. I'm here to say stuff about why you should all help me win the contest that I'm already winning to zip. He talks for a few minutes while I go out and get popcorn. When I come back, he's wrapping it up with, because friendship, <laughs> it's not who we are that's important. It's when we aren't, because there's no I in Oasis, and winning contests is important. So help me win this one, because if we don't band together now, there won't be a band worth nowing gathered to ship friend. He waits for a slow clap facing the barren wasteland. Inside HQ, the LOL guy's all, ha, people prefer my speeches. Suddenly, a bunch of G appears on the horizon. It's nerds! They all start heroically doing minimal damage to the CG sphere with their lasers and ninchukas. <laughs> Instead of helping, Wade somehow gets inside the castle unmolested <laughs> through the sphere. <laughs> the old, old guy's all, damn it! Fucking stupid. <laughs> I got a better idea. He takes out his most expensive artifact, a crystal skull, and fucks it. This blows up everybody and destroys the castle and everything within it. Yes! I've done it! I've ruined the internet! Woo! <laughs> people like my pop-up ads. But Wade's all. Hey, look, guys, that quarter gave me an extra life. I guess it did help. <laughs> 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 Extra joke. See? Halliday knew I'd choke. What a visionary. Just him this time, not me as much. He wanders around the LOL basement until he somehow finds a somehow still working TV set that somehow has an adventure cartridge in it. He watches with amusement as the random black dude, the LOL guy, assigned to play it, wins but then still gets dunked in some ice to death, which means you're not the hero of the movie. <laughs> it's all, hmm. Halliday's favorite movie quote ever was Nancy Allen in Poltergeist 3. Oh, who the hell goddamn cares? Don't you guys get it? The nebbish who made adventure didn't want anyone to actually finish his game. He wanted them to wander around blindly till they found a testimonial to his vanity. He plays adventure and finds the dot in the secret room with words in it. While NRL, Chuch drives her ice cream truck through screaming crowds with Wade back tracked into the ice cream truck's Oculus. Inside Oasis, Wade gops like a turkey as the terrible 2600 graphics of adventure are sluggishly replaced by the terrible wizard CG. <laughs> the wizards are. Congratulations, here's your third bronze key. Now here, sign this contract. Wait, you, Halliday hated contracts. I'm not falling for that, Halliday. He shoves the wizard away and tries to stab the key in the lock. But because the van his body is in is jouncing, I guess it makes the keyhole jounce. All the LOL guys who have tried to murder and outwit him throughout the movie now all cheer excitedly. Yeah, turn the key! Woo! Faster, idiot! Like, did they even remember? Never mind. The northern exposure girl jumps on the truck and tries to murder Wade with a knife, but they trick her by throwing her off the vehicle. Some cops grab her and go, you're under arrest for getting thrown out of a truck. <laughs> <laughs> Chutch parks her ice cream truck in the middle of Wade's trailer park and goes, 
wait, I drove here? I guess I live in Columbus too. Do we all live in Columbus? LOL's in Columbus. <laughs> the LOL guy the pistol in someone's car and advances angrily on the trailer park. A crowd of wife beaters in wife beaters appear to bar his way. A redneck saw, y'all killed my best friend, Cletus, the man who liked to punch that Wade asshole. Roseanne's all, we somehow know who you are and what you did. We're going to stand here scowling at you until, holy shit, he's got a gun. I didn't realize if our neighbors, he'd shoot us. <laughs> Fuck that. Let, let him kill the kid. He outnumbers us. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, in Oasis, Wade finally remembers how keys work and the terrible scene is replaced by the terrible stink of Halliday's dingy college dorm room. Halliday's eating cereal. He farts and goes, oh, someone won. Uh, okay, hang on. There's like an egg around here somewhere. Sorry. I programmed myself to be bewildered and annoying if this ever happened. Oh, this took days for me to program me going, oh, where? Hey, it's under this. No. <laughs> Eventually, he finds the right CG under some spreadsheets and hands it to Wade. It's yellow. The LOL guy opens the back door of the truck and starts to shoot Wade, and suddenly <laughs> he realizes Wade looks like he's holding a yellow CG egg. <sighs> wow. The LOL guy's face melts in a loving smile. The white is even more when the cops arriving behind him threaten to shoot him in the back. Simon Pegg walks into the back of the truck and points at some extras in business suits. Hi, I'm that character, Simon Pegg's. These are the real heroes here, lawyers. He gives Wade another contract to sign. Wade takes the pen cheerfully and goes, Ah, Halliday loved second contracts. But you know, <laughs> me and Artemis and my two Asian friends are going to run the company together. We'll see about Chudge. One of the Asians is all, oh, my character is that I'm a loving Watts man. Jeez. Oh, Last second, we write Dingus. Yeah, well done. He said grudgingly. Pegs all. Well, I don't know any of these people or you, but I think that's a great idea. By the way, I was Halliday's friend or wanted to be. I don't know what. The cops grab the LOL guy and go, you're under arrest for not shooting that kid. <laughs> they cuff him and slide him into the back of a police car with the northern exposure chick. He's all, okay, Mildred, here's my character's motivation. Well, he's trying to think of a follow-up. She chops him in the throat and goes, you ruin all my murders. <laughs> Wade's VO's all, yep. So me and birthmark face are now rich and do nothing. <laughs> Well, he likes her, so it's okay. It's his pet name. Everybody's annoyed with us because we shut down the internet every uh, Tuesday and Thursday to have sex while you all have to wait. But hey, reality's awesome. CG parts of this movie, those weren't the good parts. You like those stack camper trucks. Come on. It's only two days a week. Whatever. Fuck you guys. Thanks for watching. As 80s music plays, some scrolling words tell me the names of the million millennials who animated the only five minutes of the last three hours I still remember by the time I reached the lobby. The end. Thank you very much, Kelly Wand. Well done. Well done. Nice job. Uh, Dingus, why don't you go first? What is a movie better than Ready Player One? What's a movie that's not quite as good as Ready Player One? And uh, what did you think of this? All right, so I would say I would put um, 
just slightly under this, the movie Brainstorm. Uh, because <laughs> Wait, that's your <laughs> under? Yeah. Okay, okay. Because, well, even though there is some decent nudity in it, um, it doesn't really hold up. It's, it's, it, it's, it's really pretty cheesy. But I, I still – I have a soft spot in a soft spot, a soft spot in my heart for Brainstorm. Uh, I just, it's just, I think it might've been one of the first Christopher Walken performances I'd seen at that point in my life. And I just, I just, I love the whole, like the idea of the guy putting on that headset and then masturbating himself to death, basically. Um, and over this, I would put, uh, the last starfighter, which I also think is cheesy, um, but uh, I would put it over this as an homage to this uh, because I actually I have to tell you, and I'm going to be in the strict minority on this based on what I'm seeing from our listener emails and what I'm sure you guys think. I really liked this a lot. I really had a great time watching it. I, I can't believe it. I expected to hate it, even though I strictly believe in going into a movie expecting to like every movie that I go into, I kind of was dreading seeing this movie, uh, especially having read the first couple of chapters of the, of the novel at one of our listeners, Josh Lub- Lubliner sort of suggested, well, yeah, you should try to read some of the book. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's, it's a tough read. It just all the eighties references and everything to me just feel like showing off and they don't really, it doesn't really feel like a book. Um, but I really, you know, I, I know there's a lot of flaws in it. That's fine. Uh, but I, I had a blast watching it. Uh, I really, really liked a lot of it. I think Steven Spielberg sort of regains his footing as far as a lot of his craft is concerned. Um, so yeah, I really like this thing. All right. <laughs> Kelly, Wand, Kelly Wand, what's a movie that's better than Ready Player One? A movie that's not quite as good. And, uh, what did you think? Um... I wanted to do an over-under of nostalgia porn, but I couldn't think of an over. So I just went with uh, kids' movies where kids are vying for a contest for a dream factory mm-hmm. or in a contest. So my over is Willy Wonka, which I think is what this movie is trying to feel like. And my under is Polar Express, which this movie looks better than. Um, I really loved the race. <laughs> um I love the race, and I like the date. And I got excited during the race sequence, because I thought that Spielberg was going to actually private Ryan the whole movie. And um, it's probably only good on the big screen. Uh, but like the book's contests are like things like beating the high score on Pac-Man and playing Joust and reciting entire chunks of war games and noting a misspell and like Zork and blowing a Captain Crunch whistle. So I kind of liked what they changed. And um, I didn't really like the book that much. My heads up to nerds would be that there's other decades to fetishize. And I think that's what annoys me about the book and the movie. Because, I, I mean, the 80s was my decade, too. But I think people tend to – they always think whatever was when they were a kid was the best. And it seems like if – even for the premise of the movie to work, it seems like they would – there'd be a lot more variety. It wouldn't just be 80s stuff. Um, but – There was uh, a quote, Stephen King, about The Shining, he said that uh, Kubrick thinks too much and feels too little. And uh, (laughs) I feel like King's got the opposite problem, and I feel like Spielberg's got the opposite problem. Like, he he needs to think more, and he feels too much. Uh, But uh, I thought it was better as a movie than as a book. But I thought these characters were boring as shit, Um, and uh, by the end, I was kind of bored. 
but I support right. Dingus liking it. Yes. So my under is unfortunately a movie I've never seen because I really uh, had a hard time thinking of something that's worse than this. Uh, so I'm going to have to go with uh, George Lucas produced a musical version, and it's a cartoon because this movie's a cartoon. Uh, George Lucas produced a cartoon version with fairies and goblins or whatnot of uh, Midsummer Midsummer Night's Dream. Uh, and it was called Strange Magic, and it tanked. Nobody famous was in it. I heard uh. nothing. Like it was, it was critically panned. So I'm guessing this might be better than Strange Magic. That is uh, my under. And again, it's not based on knowledge. I just had a hard time coming up with something that I, I liked less than this. Um, my over. Uh, so something like Willow. It's less about the quality of the movie and more about. How you know where you were in your life when you saw it? Willow, right. I can, and it's like Last Starfighter, by the way. Last Starfighter might be a terrible movie, but it, I might hold it. It might hold a dear place in my heart. I don't recall hating Willow. Um, so, I really I, so not Willow it either. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, so Willow is not my under. Uh, yeah, strange magic movie I've never seen. My over, however, uh, it's a movie called November Criminals. Uh, November Criminals stars uh, Asselm Eglort as a very brooding, precocious high school student who can quote in one breath uh, both Virgil and David Bowie. He's like super smart, uh-huh. and uh, Chloe Moritz Grace is his girlfriend, uh, and she's in the movie mainly to just talk to him about how he feels so that he can opine about his own feelings and so the movie can be about him. Uh, and the movie is about his, his friend gets murdered. Uh, and he, the police don't care, and he's incensed that they don't care, so he's going to solve the friend's murder, and he's going to find out what really happened, and he's on the case. And he's the worst detective ever, because if you ever are in a mystery and you get a clue, like, hey, so-and-so was seen on the night of the murder looking suspicious, you then investigate that person, right? And you find out what you can about that person, how he or she might have been involved. Uh Asmal Dipdorth, he just goes straight over to that person, <laughs> and he really? says to, and he says to the person, "Hey, uh, my friend got murdered. Did you have anything to do with that? Was that you?" He just lays his cards on the table and routinely gets uh, beat up in this movie, or, or, or just sort of uh, pushed around. He's the worst detective ever because he has no sense of nu- nuance. He'll just get a clue and he'll walk up to the subject of that clue, like, mm-hmm. "Hey, your friend was seen t- talking to a, a dangerous meth dealer." And he'll go over to the meth dealer's house and knock on his door and say, hey, do you have anything to do with my friend's murder? He's like that bad at detectiving. Mm. Uh, and, and he's played by this horrible actor who can't act, who just uh, preens smugly. That's, that's like this whole guy's approach to, to acting. And it ends – the movie ends with him uh, weeping and watching home movies of his dead mom from when he was a baby while, while he sits with his dad, who's played by uh, David Strathern. And David Bowie plays over the, the credits, and he's sitting there watching this home movie, and he's come to terms with his friend's death and his mother's death and how it all ties together. And he, he's not worthy of, of David Strathern or David Bowie. Like this guy, he's not even worthy of poor little Chloe Moritz Grace. But here's the thing. Here's the saving grace of November Criminals and why I liked it more than, uh, than uh, Ready Player One. November Criminals was fascinating for watching two people interact who are terrible at pretending to interact, who are so full of themselves or so yeah. lost or so vapid. It is fascinating watching this movie because this 
Dill Schmick Bumgort guy, he has no sense of connecting with, with another person. And Chloe Moritz Grace, that poor little girl is so lost and out of her element. Um, so I, I was legitimately fascinated by November Criminals because there's something magic or uh, about even, even when it misfires about watching two people trying to interact. And Ready, Ready Player One constantly deprived me of that. Uh, and that's my that's yeah. so many problems with it. But it was a cartoon, and we have two perfectly decent actors. I like Olivia Cook and Ty Sheridan a lot. And instead, I had to watch some dippy character from Final Fantasy twelve or whatever, and an av- a, a, a purple avatar chick. Boring. That's, that's, uh. that's so to me. That is so not what I want in a movie. And I have other issues with it as well. But that's why. As much as I – November Criminals is so bad. It is so incredibly bad, and it thinks it's hip. It's a horrible movie, but I would rather watch November Criminals than Ready Player One. Not a lot of good dialogue in Ready Player One. Like if you're going to reference all these other things, so the implication I, I, is you're better than those things. Or well, I have so many problems with the references, but I actually think the first and last bit of good writing in this mess is a reference to corn syrup riots. I thought that was funny. Yeah. I, I was like, oh, that. that's great. I want more of that. And then nothing else like that. But I, I love that, that idea, that kind yeah. of world building, because Logan did that kind of stuff, right? Like yeah. it would just reference something that was evocative. Uh, and and so I don't know if Ernest Klein's book does that more. Um, a little bit. Okay. There's more a sense of how the world is, and there's lots of um, – like that's what makes it kind of more readable. Well, I do want to hear more, about this. There's more understanding is, about the economy and about the schools and stuff yeah. like that. I mean, it's it's it's, it's a whole different it's animal. They had to drop it. a lot of that. And right. one and one of our listeners, um, uh, who's somebody named, I, th- I think this might be the first time she's actually written in. Although we went to see a movie with her, Kelly Height, uh, was really disappointed for those reasons that it drops a lot of that, a lot of that understanding of of the of the social constructs and goals, as she puts it. And and in her estimation, the book is much darker. And I know, you know, from Tom's point of view, the source material doesn't matter. But for but for Kelly in writing in, she was very much saying that the the oasis the oasis wasn't just Second Life, uh, that it was it was integrated into a broader social constraint goals uh, and you know how kids attend school real world world commerce and this is something that chris markinson said as well is about how uh well how how are these how, how what's the economic model for this game and how is anybody paying for anything and at least the book understands or at least the book supplies some sort of reasoning for that so i think i, I understand what kelly height and what chris markinson are saying about that i'm glad to hear that because i've had several people say to me hey have you read this? You should. And watching this movie, I was thinking, who in their right mind would recommend that I read? No, this book? I would. So I okay. would. But, but so the book is very different. It sounds like it sounds like the book has a different approach. That's uh, the thing, Dingus. When when Dingus is talking to now, and he's read the first two chapters more. Re- like I read the book like two or three years ago, and it's kind of hazy in my memory. But the idea that you're doing everything online, like going to school and doing necessary things, sort of undercuts the message of this movie, which is that. Don't play video games 24 and 7, dumbasses. Because it would be different then. If it's in the future and you're doing your – like there's no reason to really go offline. Or it's not just Second Life as Kelly. Yeah, yeah. right. Because right. okay. right. exactly I was wondering right. too watching this movie, am I supposed to infer that the Oasis is the internet? Like I didn't understand in this movie, is it a game? Is it a World of Warcraft? Is it something bigger? Is it the idea that World of Warcraft got big and became is the internet? Is it just kids? 
Like, is it just, just right? Like, I had no idea what I was supposed to, what the frame of reference was, or what I was supposed to make of what Oasis represented or was. And well, it sounds it, like the book has a much clearer uh, representation of that. Right. It pulls all of those things together, and it licenses all licenses all of those things. I mean, Klein just sort of, he really is like taking a bulldozer. Like, you know how we were nervous about Avengers just being a bulldozer movie? Uh, it is, it, this feels like a bulldozer for a lot of ideas that he does. I don't think he really massages very well. But one of the things I do like about it is the idea of the Oasis as also providing uh, education when there is no public fund for education right, anymore. Right. So if, oh. if you can qualify to go into a virtual school, then you get to do that. And then you can go to another world. And for somebody like Wade, uh, it means not getting bullied anymore. He can just go to a virtual school and there'll, there'll be all these other things that he can do. And there's infinite books that are approved that he can read. And, and you know, he might be not be able to afford to go off – his particular world because teleportation costs and spaceships and whatnot are how the game makes us money, which this, this movie just glosses over and totally disregards all the school stuff. All of those things become important because society is broken down to the point that public schools are just failing incredibly. And, and you know, not unlike some of them are today, but a virtual online school, you might have a, this Need professor who is yeah. who is somebody in in India who is who knows you know all this great stuff and can be in your classroom teaching you all of these things and take you on virtual field trips every day so it's this utopian idea of school in addition to a, a way to escape this horrible this horrible world that they're in well, it would have been nice if Zach Penn had realized that stuff yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I and thing. I think that yeah. that these are the things that that Kelly is saying, and that also I think that that Josh is sort of Josh Lubliner is also sort of touching on. It's well, the wrong is, movie to have that message in it. You know what I mean? Like, don't play video games too much. Look at these cool CG parts. Okay. What? Uh, I I just real quick want a uh, 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 quick little anecdote. Um, maybe ten years ago, Electronic Arts was publishing a game. Uh, it was kind of like Angry Birds before Angry Birds, where there are these block edifices and you throw things at them and knock them down. And it's a physics model with these playful little cute animals running around. It was called Boom Blocks, and for some somehow they managed to get Steven Spielberg's name on it for him as a producer. Uh, DreamWorks was trying to get into video gaming. This was some connection with DreamWorks. So just through this weird happenstance chain of events i had like a, a 10 minute phone interview with steven spielberg um about this boom blocks thing and I'd, I'd done a few things like this before where like you you realize a celebrity is just having his name hitched to a video game and they have no idea what video games are about or what they're like and that mm. became so quickly apparent uh talking to steven spielberg i mean i, I love some of the guy's works but he was just selling his name for this video game. He had no sight into video games. E. That's when I asked. Yeah. Yeah. And well, e, like, I doubt he was in like E.T. I, he probably didn't even know what video games were back when that got made. Well, he um, promoted it. That's the thing. Oh, oh right. So oh. they got, I guess, hired him. to. OK. Yeah. But I think there's a lot of what's going on here is that Steven Spielberg and I'm guessing Zach Penn with his script that this this movie has no concept it sounds like of what Ernest Klein was trying to write about, but it also has no concept of what video games are like or even what virtual reality is like. Uh, 
and, and that's one of my issues with it is I, clearly the movie wants to be about video gaming and about virtual reality, and it just has no understanding of any of that stuff, uh, which just reminded me, oh, yeah, well, of course Steven Spielberg doesn't know any of this. Uh, why, should, why am I surprised? Well, what are your breakdowns in that? Because, I, you know, I went to see it with our friend Alexandra, and she really did not like this movie at all. And some of her problems were that it didn't really get an understanding of how you – kind of exactly what you just said. It doesn't, doesn't really understand how video games work or how virtual, virtual reality would port over into this, right, how, the, right. how that would actually be realized. So what, what do you mean specifically? Because I, I don't know from video games, so the, the race for me was – I really loved the race, uh, I, even though, you know, as one of our listeners, I can't remember who said, you know, it makes no sense. Oh, I think it was Josh who, as opposed to Kelly, uh, really liked the 80s puzzle solving in the book and was disappointed that 80s puzzle solving wasn't in this in the movie, that it was other things that solved the puzzles. And w- why is a race related to 80s nostalgia? Oh, but I, I loved I loved the way the race was quote-unquote filmed and you're right tom it is a cartoon but most of these movies right now are animated movies so i think that increasingly it becomes uh, almost redundant to have an animated movie ca- category in the oscars but what are the things that you what what i want sure. you to expound upon that yeah so and, and it really does come down to the fact that this is not this has no connection to video gaming or vr it is merely cartoons like if i w- if i was going to see if you know if if i wanted to see like an animated race it would be no different from what steven spielberg did here which was presumably about a vr experience in the context of a game world and instead he just made a cartoon and uh, my objections and why it's not it has nothing to do with with video games is a lot of stuff about the design of games and what they try to do um i'll just start for instance with this idea that uh, when you die in this movie, that they want you to have a sense of stakes. That when you die, you're right. going to lose all your stuff, uh, mm-hmm. and that that's that's fair. That does give things a sense of stakes, but that is absolutely antithetical to any commercially successful game ever made. That when dying and losing all your stuff is a fundamental impossibility if you want people to get attached to your uh, online business model. Well, wait um, a minute. We play hardcore Diablo, and you lose everything. Right, and and that's that's an option in Diablo. If that was the only way to play Diablo, it it would never be as popular as it is. Uh, oh, okay. The, the thing All is, right. this whole idea of dingus of stakes is something that a, a small minority of people wants sometimes. And there's a whole group of, of independent oh, developed, okay. independently developed games that are called roguelikes that are all about. Uh, maximizing this risk-reward calculation because for some people that's super exciting, and that's why I enjoy playing Diablo Hardcore. Is normally you die in Diablo. It doesn't matter. Dingus, when you and me and our friend Sharon were playing the other night, you die, big deal. doesn't matter. There's no stakes yeah. to it, and that's not why we're playing. We're not playing for stakes. We're playing to just kick back and enjoy ourselves. Um, yeah. so, so this whole idea of in the oasis that when you die you lose all your stuff has no awareness of how video games work video games commercially successful video games are all about slow inexorable progress without any meaningful risk they're all call of duty you jump in you can get a few kills you'll get killed whatever you're always going to be killing people and leveling up your weapon it's it's all world of warcraft whatever you do you're always going to be gaining xp the business model that hooks people into these games and what i think would be fascinating to examine is this 
just inevitable. It's a it's a what's the thing where you the the rat gets the cheese? Oh, Pavlovian response to rewards. It's all this psychological response to rewards, and video games are engineered, successful video games, to appeal to that. And this idea that that Steven Spielberg wanted us to experience this sense of higher stakes of danger in this game it doesn't exist in video games it's not how video games work uh and so this idea that the oasis is based on that is absurd if you're going to spend your real world it's a, it's a big problem with free-to-play games and business models if you're going to spend your real world money then how are, is a game going to basically punish you or disincentivize or make mm. dangerous death it's not going to take away your money because if I buy something and it gets taken away from me, I am not going to take part in that, that commercial exchange anymore. So video games have to deal with that, and this representation of the Oasis had no awareness of that. Now, now that's the more like game design nerdy. It's the only game. Well, it's, it's not only it's the sense? only game, Kelly Wand. It's, it's the unifying principle across all these games, whether you're on you know, a battle world or racing game or puzzle solving, whatever. If you, you lose, yeah. yeah, you get yeah, exactly. You lose all your coins. You lose everything. TJ you Miller. Get an extra life if you do the second puzzle <laughs> well, of know, a contest no one's ever gotten to. Well, IROC says. I mean, I guess they pay a little lip service to that by saying, by having IROC say, "I spent ten years getting this crap." Right. Exactly. And and no no business model that understands what it's doing, and no one who understands video games would make it where ten years of progress would be lost when you die. That has nothing to do with 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 uh, the conceit of video gaming. Uh, it's in, as I'm saying, it's antithetical to the way video games work. Uh, it's great for the Matrix. You know, you want to talk about the Matrix, and oh, if you die in the Matrix, you'll, you'll be comatose. Right. Like, I can understand having some Every sci-fi... Every five matters. Yeah, yeah. If, having some sci-fi conceit, exactly, is fine, but trying to base it on, hey, this is what video gaming is like. No, it's not. Um, well, it doesn't help that none of the characters die, and no one they know loses anything... Except at the begin that beginning montage, so we have no sense of like, oh wait, they could really get fucked. They lose their. And it's also not any. It's it's, it's only it's, it's the sort of thing like when people who really know about like guns or computers, they see somebody shooting on screen mm. who doesn't know how to shoot, or somebody right. doesn't know how to hack. They see somebody hacking. This is the sort of thing that bothers me, and I wouldn't necessarily expect it would bother other people. Uh, but right. it's why yeah. I'm keenly aware watching this movie that Spielberg has no concept of what video games are about. Uh, and I'm not saying, you know, a video game would make a terrible movie. I mean, it wouldn't necessarily make a good movie, but they're they're very different mediums for entertainment. Uh, and I just think that this particular type of this particular piece of entertainment has no insight into what it's trying to be about. Uh, and and just real quick, the other thing too is is I think Spielberg. Uh, so so VR uh, is not. The, the, the race is all a cartoon in, in that it does things because it can. It has a crazy swooping camera. It has you know impossible angles and approximations of like crazy real-world physics with the dinosaur coming down and the cameras swooping around, and, and it's all editing. It's all movie-making. VR is nothing like that. VR is a consistent perspective on a, a real world around you. You know, if you play a video game through a screen, you're looking at it through a window. VR is a door in which you exist in this little area, and you are not a flying camera swooping around. Uh, well, 
I would say that that's Spielberg's. Like, this is what if I was directing the VR stuff, this is what it would be like. Well, he's also showing us another perspective. I mean, this isn't that. Uh, what's the I movie what we saw with the blinking dude, all from his point of view, who's dead? Into the void. Into the, the void. Into the void. Right. Enter the void. Uh, this right. isn't. This isn't that kind of thing. I mean, I, right, right, which is what, I don't understand why you don't forgive the the idea of like him showing the race. It's not all from Percival's point of view. Right. It's not. It's, it's, it's not, not VR. It's not VR in that sense. It's not like we're in the VR world. It's that error. we're watching him in this particular world as if he as if he's in his own real world. I mean, it's just two different Our worlds that we're right. watching from a, a, an omniscient point of view. Right. right? Which is is. is the point I'm making isn't necessarily that I'm not forgiving it. It's that it is giving us what you said, an omniscient point of view, which is sort of like the business model to actual game design. An omniscient oh, point okay. of view is, is inimical to the experience of VR. Hmm. VR is a very subjective point of view in that you as a subject exist inside of the world. And if you want to make yeah. a cartoon about people in a VR, you know, I've seen Tron. Tron is fine. I don't expect Tron to be told from a first-person perspective. It's a virtual world. That's fine. But if you want to make a movie about the experience of VR – Leading off with this crazy swooping camera editing animated crazy action race, that's fine for a cartoon. That's fine for a race scene. It's an exhilarating scene. It just has no insight into the dynamic of virtual reality. Uh, and I don't, I don't feel anything ever did in this movie, uh, even though what? it was trying to be about virtual reality. Do you See, think that since it was set not in 2027, but like I don't know, 45 or something? Thank you. Uh, do you think it should have shown just? That the that the virtual world just should have appeared as normal, but just more, I don't know, uh, ideal instead yeah, that, of looking like a cartoon. Because I, th I think part of the problem is what it's showing us is technology today for this crazy animated movie making. It's like technology today doesn't put you in a Pixar movie. And and, and, and this right. is what Steven Spielberg was wanting to do here is make a Pixar movie. So when oh. I see Ty Sheridan putting on the goggles and putting on a harness so that he and, and then holding the bar so that he can walk on the treadmill, we have that today. That's how VR works today. That's what it looks like when you go into VR today. You wear the goggles. You have to hold these cumbersome things yeah. in your hands. Control like cap. Exactly, exactly. And, and that seems to be the mechanical entry into this world that Spielberg is showing us, and that's what VR today is, but that's not what he steps into. So maybe – so it should have been more Johnny Mnemonic, like wet wired or something? Well, exactly, Dingus, because here's another thing is – I'm. By the I'm way, I can't, I can't let it go without huh? just, just putting a little bookmark into the word treadmill. I just want to right, put that right. in, but go yeah. ahead. It's, it's a thing that you walk on that rolls underneath you, a treadmill. Yeah, <laughs> a treadmill. Um, <laughs> you eat it. Uh, uh, you completely knocked me off my game. Sorry, I, I was talking about Johnny Mnemonic. <laughs> oh, oh, no, no, right, right. Yeah. yeah, this sort of idealized representation of, of – uh, yeah, that I, I, I think I would have been fine with, and that would have been intriguing. But here's an issue. Uh, I'm super frustrated not getting to see people interact. And yeah. when yeah. you are in this virtual world – they are making all these facial expressions at each other, and they're smiling and they're grinning. She reaches out and fixes his hair. Steven Spielberg wants to make it a movie where people interact in his cartoon the same way they do in the real world. And that makes sense because that's what people show up to see in a cartoon or a movie. 
when you are in a virtual world, there is nothing on your face saying, hey, I'm smiling. Hey, I look shy. Hey, I'm blushing at this person. Hey, I'm giving someone a knowing glance. Hey, I'm upset. Even at a certain point, uh, Ben Mendelsohn says, oh, I see you're using emotion suppressing software. <laughs> what? And dancing's what? easy. Yeah, and what was even reading his emotions? And furthermore, and this is a, a, I, you know, so many of my things are stupid nitpicks, I grant, but it shows Ty Sheridan flicking his thumb over a trackball. That is hardware. That's not <laughs> software. Like he's mm-hmm. triggered something. So at any rate, uh, but that, that's an issue that you – I think you have to take, take into account. If you're going to show people interfacing with the virtual world, how are their emotions being – broadcast into this virtual world? How are these well, interactions with their faces taking place? How are they connecting the way that actual people connect? Because that's not how virtual worlds work. Um, well, there's two things here. I think there, yeah. that, that there, is, there is a thing that, that Ernest Klein is doing in the book where, where he, he allows characters to um, – he allows the software to control certain – emotional responses or the expression of emotional responses. Okay. Okay. Um, and furthermore, you can decide whether somebody can tell whether or not you're paying attention to them or, or just believe that you're paying attention mm-hmm. to them. The software sort of handles all that. In fact, the software even handles the fact that uh, it, it's much easier for teachers to teach stuff without having to do behavior control because the software just handers, handles behavioral issues. Right, software right. just handles that. Um, and the, the other thing I was going to say is that uh, Chris Markinson actually says, I think Ty Sheridan has only one facial expression in the entire movie. Right. His CG avatar uh, emotes a whole heck of a lot more. Yeah. I don't think that says much it's for his rough. performance. So from Chris's point of view, it seems that the ex- the facial expressions of the avatars in uh, in the Oasis are more compelling than in the real world. And I, yeah, I don't want to blame. Ty. We'll talk about the cast in a minute, but yeah, I, I definitely okay. felt the same thing. And that and that you know, if I'm making a movie about a VR world, I can't you know, if I show it the way a VR world exists, it's going to look ridiculous, and it's not going to satisfy the. It would get a C on CinemaScore. You know, it's not going to satisfy the people who want to come out and see these avatars interacting and they, who want this kind of magical VR world. That, uh, that, that, And I guess, Dingus, you do have a point. If we kind of extrapolate, hey, this is 20 years in the future, a lot of the things that I'm complaining about, I'm, I'm okay with hand-waving away. But my main observation is that this movie has no insight into video gaming or VR as it exists today uh, and is therefore kind of – I just feel it's irrelevant to what I think it thinks its subject matter is. Um, uh, I was thinking what you were thinking, not during the race or the date, because I was enjoying them just as scenes and spectacle. Like, I really mm-hmm. like the race, even though yeah, it's sure, sure. totally true. And I was thinking in the back of my mind, going, no, no, it's still good. This is awesome. This isn't in the book. This is really cool. Uh-huh. But then uh, the Shining stuff may- turned me into you. And I'm like, wait a minute. This is a video game based on... <laughs> 19, like everything started falling apart for me. I'm like I don't like I was laughing a little, but at the same time something was dying inside me, and I was like, eh, "This I is want- like a Kubrick thing, and has nothing to do with VR." Boo! I I so want to talk about that, but let uh, yeah. So I, so Shining deserves its own paragraph. 
Oh, and I, I, I well, yeah, we'll get into that in a minute. All right. But, yeah. but so Soren, so, Soren Hoagland has something to say about that as well. Uh, so, so Dingus, explain then. So you don't have the same hangups I do about, oh, it should have some relevant commentary on video gaming and, and VR. So just as the spectacle, I'm guessing uh, that that was something that you enjoyed, and I can appreciate that. But I know you also share my my fondness for watching actors act. Um mm. Was that a frustration for you that you had to instead spend a lot of time watching cartoons act? Well, you know, I, I, I often the, the think, human element. And, Let me put I've it that way. Before, oh, mm-hmm. go ahead. I, I've I said just, this before. I think, that, way, like, I think when you, you use the word cartoons, I think you're being dismissive. Uh, animated movies are animated movies, and you and you you say cartoons aren't movies and documentaries aren't movies. And I think that you I have use never the word said cartoon. cartoons aren't movies. Cartoons are think, totally movies. Toy Story is a movie. Toy Story Two is one of the v- rare perfect movies. The fact that okay, it's a cartoon, my mistake. I thought documentaries. Of course, we all know past, documentaries are not movies. Are movies. Yeah. All right. And so, just so to, to your point, I mean, I am. I am being dismissive when I call this a cartoon. You are entirely so basically, being you have a point. You have a, a point there. Yeah. I shouldn't. Uh, yeah, I shouldn't dispute that. But Go ahead. Jurassic Park is an animated movie. I mean, uh, Spider-Man is an animated movie. These are an- these are largely animated movies now. I mean, so much CG is used that the line has blurred so far between what a cartoon is or an animated movie is and what a real movie is. Okay. If you want to call it a real movie, it's still case by I mean, case. It is case by case. I mean, Benjamin Button is a cartoon. But is it good? Uh, in more this ways like, than one. Jurassic it's Park crazy. has awesome action sequences. Yeah, yeah. And Jeff um, Goldblum, at least, is a memorable character in the first So, to, to your point, Tom, mm-hmm. um, it is frustrating for me. And, and I, I mean, I, I guess I hadn't thought about it until you really said it. More frustrating to me is the casting in that regard in the real world part of the movie. Because I think that this movie is poorly cast based on what these characters actually are because I can't stand it. I, I cannot stand it. And this is something that Soren also says. I can't stand it when like an actress shows up and it's like, Oh, I'm so ugly. Look at this thing on my face. Yeah. Oh my yeah. Oh, I'm so sexy <laughs> and ugly. I'm so sexy. And I, oh, I've never kissed a, I've never kissed a girl before. But let me touch your face immediately. Okay. Yeah. We've never had sex or touched anybody. These people haven't. Yeah. Have look at it. It's tons it's of people. Egregious example. It, it's about, terrible. Yeah. I I can't stand that. But from my point of view, um, to your point, Tom, about mm-hmm. actors interacting, and more dingus, I'd put it like the human element. Like like I, I I'm with you. Like as far as a, a lot of movies being animated, you're you're absolutely right. But I feel in in a lot of what I would you would call animated movies like Jurassic Park, Benjamin Button, Spider Man. You know, we have Brad Pitt, we have Tom Holland, we have Jeff right. Goldblum. Uh, mm-hmm. I wanted Ty Sheridan and Olivia Cook. I didn't want the avatars. Uh, and for me, well, that was an obstacle not having the human element, and that that seems like it didn't bother you so much. Or... It didn't bother me because, and this is specific to me, maybe um, I thought their vocal performances okay. were spot on, mm-hmm. and I thought Ty Sheridan uh, was great in his vocal performance as Percival, and I thought that Olivia Cook was great in her vocal performance as um, Artemis. I really liked those vocal performances, and I really believe in that. I mean, I've said in multiple times that one of my favorite performances is Meryl Streep in The Fantastic Mr. Fox. I, I, I just think that an actor who knows how to use their voice, who knows how to convey that kind of emotion, can make that kind of emotional contact. And I think that sometimes they do. I think that 
unfortunately, um, our, the uh, the avatar for Artemis is totally wrong for what that character actually should be. I think that his avatar looks weird. I think the avatars look weird in this, but just listening to the vocal performances and include i mean all of them all of their vocal performances i thought were really good Mm -hmm. and that's not easy to do and that that creates enough human contact as you're as you're talking about for me to get me over the hump uh the real world stuff isn't as compelling to me quite frankly as the as the quote-unquote cartoon stuff and I really liked their vocal performances, so that worked for me, and that's that's why I'm I think I'm more forgiving. Maybe uh, a lot of video games have uh, cutscenes, of course, and they try yeah. to get this idea of, of characters interacting, and they're using these uh, awkward polygonal puppets that talk to each other, and that's gotten better over the years. And especially as good animation gets more accessible and affordable, uh, you see the uncanny valley being less of an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have there have been. Some some video games. There have been a handful of video games that achieve what I think you enjoyed in this dingus, where I do feel like there's some human contact going on, uh, and it's partly I would say there are three elements that go into this, but it, it's largely the vocal performances. Uh, and I just want to call out: uh, there's a game called Last of Us, which is a. I knew I, I. As you were talking, I was hoping that you would say this. this is uh, and there, there's a, a series of games called Uncharted. Uh, which is to say they're basically Indiana Jones ripoffs, and the uh, Crystal Dynamics reboot of Tomb Raider. Uh, these games have really, really good voice acting, and this is, this is reinforced by really good animation, including facial animation, that, that is, is, is aware of uncanny valleys, mm. and by really good uh, writing. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, in Last of Us and Uncharted and Tomb Raider, I crave that human interaction in my drama, and I felt like those gave it to me through the mm. acting, the writing, and the animation. Uh, here, uh, I, I would agree with you, Dingus, with the, the voice acting, because I'm a huge fan of both of the actors, both of the leads in this, by the way. Yeah. Um, and I, it made me wish I liked the movie more. Um, but the, the design choices remind me more of Avatar than of the things yeah. that you're talking about. They felt and I really, think that that was unfortunate. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, and and even Dingus, you don't know what uh, Japanese JRPGs are like, but his avatar was straight out of some just like, these Final Fantasy games. Just have these yep. weird snooty kids with the spiky hair that I imagine is big in Japan. But I just have no like it. I, it immediately puts me off. So the moment that Ty Sheridan turned into the guy from Final Fantasy. I was like, this is terrible. Don't look like that. And to, by the way, I had no idea that was Olivia Cook. I don't know her voice that well. So when she finally showed up, it was a little ray of light for me in the middle of the movie. Uh, I quite like that. And I also loved, by the way, seeing uh, Lena Waithe. Is that her name? Uh, yeah. I, I loved seeing her show up. Um, so when real people emerged from behind these avatars, because I hated the avatars so much, it made me enjoy the real people all that much more. <laughs> I, I loved her so much in Master of None that when she showed up in this, I was just relieved. I, I didn't recognize her. Oh, oh the the, uh, the uh, Lena Waithe. Yeah, Lena Waithe. That's what Kelly mentioned, Master of None. I was thinking it was that sex series, but that's the Aziz Ansari thing? <laughs> that's the yeah. Aziz Ansari thing. She's, uh, she's, she's good his friend. On she's okay. his lesbian friend, yeah. Oh, good, she's, good, because I, I, I liked her, yeah. 
There's a scene in the, I think in the first one where they're going, "Hey, you want to come to a kid's birthday party?" And she goes, "Hard pass." <laughs> <laughs> Like. Is she from the stand-up comedy comedy world? Like, is it, like, is that where he found? I honestly, don't know. I just, okay. to my embarrassment, at first when when I first saw her in the quote-unquote ice cream truck that Kelly Wan described, um, I, I thought it was uh, the woman who was in Ghostbusters, and then I realized, no, no, that's Leslie. You nice. get a call. Oh yeah, yeah, Leslie. Oh shoot, what is that woman's yeah, name? The big old Amazon of a woman. I love. She's yeah. I forget her name. Uh, but yeah, 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 I know what you're talking about, Dingus. Yeah. <laughs> but then I realized it was her, and Leslie I Jones, loved Kelly her Master None. She was just so like so deadpan, so just I'm not going to take any shit from anybody, kind of yeah. thing. I loved her so much in Master of None. I really loved that series a great deal. Uh, so it was great when she she finally showed up. I I have to say, as Alexandra also said, I kind of saw that coming down Fifth Avenue that that H was going to wind up being a a. a a big girl because of the way H was talking. Um, I was kind of hoping that actually I was kind of hoping that Artemis would turn out to be a dude. <laughs> yeah. That would have been interesting. I mean, it would have been, that's the thing. Instead of those... This hot girl that he's like, right. Oh, now I can fall in love with you immediately. You're going to lose your cinema score. You're going to lose a, a grade on cinema score. If you do that, if you don't have some <laughs> cute young lady in the, in the movie. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> uh, all right, Kelly Wan, what's your problem with that Shining stuff? That was funny. Jesus. Come on. That was funny. It's hilarious, oh, Kelly Wan. Right. Well, before Kelly Wan, before yeah. you talk, Kelly Wan, I have to say, Soren Hoagland said that the Shining set piece kind of worked for him. He said, I, instead I, of another I, asinine, did you get the reference moment? It's an extended sequence. H has no familiar, familiarity with the material, so she isn't posturing with it. And knowing the source heightens the setup for the punchline. So this is one of the things Soren liked about it. But it, it he, he just, didn't he overall did not like the movie, but he started with some of the things he liked, he liked. that part. And he liked the shining sequence. If you don't know it's coming, maybe it's better because I knew about it before I saw it. it was so that's in the book, I guess. There's a, there's no, it's not in the book. It's not oh. <laughs> well I was wondering if that was a if that was a Spielberg creation because he yeah, had it is. Nah, you know, for Kubrick. I'm well, guessing yeah, that's, that's more. Too. You know, I'm guessing it's more Zach Penn because you think of Last Action Hero, like Zach Penn's whole like meta movie in a movie kind of stuff. That sounds like something Zach Penn would come up with. Here's here's something interesting. It's like Blade Run- the 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 book. There's a lot of Blade Runner plot elements, but they couldn't use them because of Blade Runner 2049, right? And they couldn't overlap. And the interesting oh. thing to me, maybe oh. it's only interesting to me, is Blade Runner, the movie, 1982 movie, ends with shining footage of the helicopter footage of forests. Yeah. And this is, uh, I forget. <laughs> I thought you were going to, that's that's where the, the interesting thing ends, Kelly Wand. <laughs> yeah, that that's all that's interesting. The movies have a chain of references to each other. All right. <laughs> yeah, have, well, it's but, a Lincoln Kennedy Thing. But also, this deciding it was so divorced from anything about the characters of the story, and it was just this self-contained, on-the-nose gag that I couldn't picture as a game. And, and the the way the the LOL guys are playing, it's totally different from how they're doing it. <laughs> it's so funny that you that you saw LOL there. I was trying to to parse binary as I as I looked at that. Oh, dang it! I, I bet you're right. I bet that's what they're going for. I bet you're Wait, right. Wait, well, it, it's, it's Orwell, yeah. Well, it, that when I asked Alexandra because she knows that kind of thing, she's like, "It stands for five, but they're called sixers." I mean, it was. <laughs> it, it's the it actual stand for five. In in binary, apparently it does. Why is five? 
Okay. One oh one. But it, it's actually the name of the corporation. It's just their initials. But that's a 1984 reference, isn't it? IOI. Yeah, is 101 the room that Winston's tortured in? Ah, I bet you're right, Kelly Wand. Yeah. Yeah. So, Big right. brother. So they're the Orwellian Corporation. So that kind of works. Well, so here, because I'm kind of with, Kel- with Kelly in that I, I thought that the – oh, no, no, I'm, I'm kind of with Soren. And, and again, yeah. it was sort of like when Olivia Cook finally shows up, I was just so glad to see her. So I was like, okay, this movie isn't so bad. It's the same with that Shining bit. Is I Shining thought that was funny because, because here's the thing. Those little girls aren't scary unless you've seen The Shining. Like the, the, <laughs> yeah. the, the whole point, and that's a clever idea, is that when you divorce these cultural references from their context, they make no sense. And I – that overall is my big problem with this movie is this movie is the fetishization of pop culture. And yeah. I want to talk about that in a minute, but – it, it, at least it had this moment of self-awareness in that Shining bit where it showed that, hey, if you've never seen The Shining, two little cute twins in blue dresses, that's not scary. There's nothing scary about it. Because uh, that's it's not that's a good point. That's a yeah. really good point, yeah. And because you, you, you need to see The Shining, you need the groundwork laid that they were chopped up by their dad by an axe. And, you know, without that stuff, it's just two cute little girls and it's a slightly gaudy, yeah. empty hotel. Big deal. Like the, the there, point there is, is that the Shining dread when he when he's going to punch the elevator button right. and, and, exactly. and Percival's like, no, exactly. It's going to make kids want, want to watch The Shining. So I got to support it on that one. <laughs> <laughs> and, it's well, and, and even the humor in it does rely on. Context. Knowing The Shining, exactly. Like when the girl gets out of the bathtub. If again, if you don't know The Shining, like if you don't know The Shining, you're going to react, react like H, number. like H did, exactly. And if yeah, you don't know The Shining, really you're not going to understand the jokes about H not knowing The Shining. Yeah. So those little layers I really enjoyed, and it made me think of some of the stuff that Zach Penn did with layers in Last Action Hero of of taking someone oh. out of a movie and then being in a movie. Um, but. It, Okay. Uh-huh. Do we want to do we want to go here? Okay, because I'm going to go on such a, a stupid, like, silly tear. Go. Here. Do All it. Right. Come on. Here is my is overall problem with, with this movie, and and it's also I don't know if this is part of the book, but if it's part of the book, I'm I'm I pre hate the book. Uh, <laughs> this idea of of Preet. I prate it right uh, fetishizing. <laughs> so so this idea that you uh, of fetishizing something is you divorce it from its context and you obsess over it inordinately, and it's often used about like little uh, sexual predilections. But you can of course fetishize cars, or you can Why fetishize. <laughs> You can fetishize Monty Python. Exactly. It's this idea of removing something from its context and being inordinately obsessed with it outside of that context. And that is what this movie here does to all culture. To this movie, The Shining, Minecraft, and Pizza Hut are of a piece. And I am so opposed to that. Like, The Shining is about domestic abuse, Minecraft is about children being creative, and Pizza Hut is about, hey, cheap, easy to get pizza is awesome. They are not of a piece. They have nothing to do with each other. Uh, So, and here's where it really made me mad. Brad Bird's Iron Giant is a a (laughs) beautiful movie about how doing good, how being good 
demands sacrifice. It demands that you struggle against your inner nature. Being good does not come naturally. It's something that we have to achieve. And it's about not using uh, power or violence. Uh, Iron Giant is amazing. And I, I just get even choked up thinking of the I am Superman at the end. That is so touching. And his statement, you know, I am not a gun. So when you take here. <laughs> Well, he, so yeah, exactly that's a here, really good point. Actually. The Iron Giant is completely divorced from its context and is a fetishization of a cool-looking robot brought into a battle. And furthermore, right. yeah. when you take this robot in this battle and you replace this poignant, incredibly touching death that Brad Bird gave it with a jokey, avuncular Schwarzenegger moment of sacrifice from Terminator. Yeah. I am so uh, I'm like screw you movie. You've taken and Kelly Wan, you you joked before, and I you know I I think we all realize that it's a little extreme to to throw this word around. But you joked before about raping childhood, and that's that's a little much. But but th- this movie really does. I wouldn't say it, it rapes anything, but I think it does violence to beautiful symbols. It does violence to you know the shining is a. I, for me, a powerful statement about domestic abuse, and to make it this joke in your movie, and and to think it's like funny, it, like I I don't, it, it just has no respect for the context of the things that it's using, and if that's you know Pizza Hut, that's fine, I don't care, use Pizza Hut, but when you use the Iron Giant, when when you use the Shining, uh. Even the Godzilla stuff I didn't get, like, because Godzilla has so much meaning for a Japanese audience. You know, what Godzilla represents. And you just have, hey, one guy is Mecha Godzilla and the other guy is Iron Giant. And they're going to shoot beams at each other and fight. And isn't it exciting? Um, King Kong, too. King Kong's not a killer. King Kong, exactly. Like, that's right. Um, Rich dicks. So I I just feel that that, that this is a movie, like, these are these are iconic cultural fixtures that this movie is playing with, and it's reducing them to toys. It is being complete is being juvenile with them. Now, as a kid, that's fine. I mean, there's, there's a time to be juvenile. It's when you're a kid. When you're a kid, Godzilla fighting Darth Vader is a cool thing. But I kind of feel like you should grow out of this, and at some point, you should understand that these iconic characters are iconic. For how they reflect and comment on, on reality, on human experience. You know, what meaning is there to these things? Little kids, they think of Darth Vader someone cool to be on Halloween. But I think when you're an adult, you realize the implications of this, you know, this dark figure emerging from your past fault? and determining your future and how your growth involves forgiving this dark future. You know, Darth Vader is is powerful to children and adults because it's a it's a powerful, iconic cultural fixture and it's not something you throw into a big mix of toys fighting each other uh so that stuff just super bothered me it it was it it turned this movie what i think this movie thought was a lot of fun and super hip and relevant it just made it for me this meaningless babble like placement is vapid pop and it was crass fetishization of of important sometimes uh cultural icons and that kind of bothered me so there, that's my rant. Uh, I realize other people shouldn't share that. That shouldn't bother other people. That's just me watching Iron Giant go down in a pool of lava, give a thumbs up. I was just and if they're all on the same level, yeah. Like yeah. Iron Giant equals Gundam equals King Kong equals. Exactly, right. right. Well, I have a counterpoint to that. But before huh? I do yes. that, let me just say that Soren Hoagland 
really agrees with you, and I, I really think he puts it in a great way. Uh, he says that you want to get into this movie, but these dead things surrounding you make it impossible. All these references, references that don't feel like they have any grounding in any of the characters, except occasionally the sad sack at the center of this. Neither of them are meaningfully <laughs> recontextualized to work in this movie. They're just there to provide a cheap thrill of recognition. Someone else liked the thing you like. Feel validated. Right. So that's what right. Soren says. And I think that his thing about you guys are on the same page as far as that. It feels like this is ju- these are just references surrounded by dead things. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So Dingus, uh, what, what's a counterpoint? Give me a counterpoint. So my counterpoint would be that the creator of this world – Mm-hmm. is is couched in the terms of somebody who is i don't know if you would say arrested development but i think that you definitely have to read him as being on the spectrum as being on the sure. autism spectrum mm-hmm. as being unable to connect with other human beings so the type of things that you're talking about tom are entirely valid to get upset about but they're not things that halliday would have a would have context for until he finally got to that end point of his life where he where he struggled through those things so he 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 designed this game so that mechagodzilla and form of gundam and uh, king kong and even iron giant are just literal they're just toys i mean he's looking in the, in his room at toys and struggling with the understanding of how these make human connections. And so even though this has this sort of syrupy Spielbergian ending, it, there is this idea of him not being able to understand how these human connections are made. Even though they, they are meaningful to him, he can't process them in a, in a way that is typical, in a way that you and I might be able to process them, in the way that you might be able to process what the Iron Giant really means. He just sees it as a toy. Dingus, I, I love where you're going, but I don't think that's what because I love that I love that this idea of you know the, these are the fixtures of, a, of an autistic mind not quite understanding them but finding meaning in them. But I don't think that's what, in the movie. He has nothing to do with the Iron Giant. The Iron Giant is something that H built. You know, uh, T.J. Miller yeah. brought the Godzilla thing. Like I love your idea, but I, the the point of I think Oasis is that the users bring stuff in. Um, oh, okay. Now, now I do like your idea, and I, I kind of. I, I guess that, in a way, when you put it that way, that makes that final scene of him in his attic, that makes that work, and I, I agree with you there. Uh, but my objection is more the tone of the movie, and I don't think the movie can use that as an out, your observation about how he would have a very different uh, appreciation for these kinds of things. Because I think okay. the movie is about people – it's about society, like people at large bringing into the Oasis the, these, these references. Uh, but but I well, do like I do like your defense. Uh, well, I, I agree with for me um, reading the book. The very first page has a joke from Ghostbusters. The very first page of the book right. has a joke about Ghostbusters, and um, I kind of I said this to my son's mother, who was encouraging me to read the book. I'm like, the very first page is a joke about Ghostbusters. She's like, get used to it. You know, and I didn't realize what that it was going to be. It was going to, you know, I I remember and actually talking about Stephen King. I remember reading some other author or critic writing about Stephen King and saying, "Look, you you can't make all these pop culture references that you make. 
that's just not within the purview of literature. You just don't do that. You don't like use a bunch of band lyrics from your favorite band and throw them on the page. You don't reference all of these things. You make things up. You make a fictional world. You don't do that kind of thing. I remember reading that. I don't know who uh. wrote it, but I remember it being written about Stephen King. Stephen King is a lightweight compared to Ernest Cline as far as like just dumping like loads of garbage references over and over and over again. Uh, and, it, and it just, and I just got weary of it within a couple of chapters. Um, and it, you know, even, you know, Chris Marcus is like, what, what's with all this eighties music? He doesn't know. Yeah. When is this movie material. taking place? That was weird. Yeah. He's, well, it's all it, you know. It's all '80s references, and, and Chris is like, "What's with all this '80s music?" Well, yeah, like they would do that in the future, and they stopped yeah. making music apparently. But yeah, why are these all '80s references? Because I don't, I had no idea what. Why were they these all '80s references? Why would the kids of tomorrow be obsessed with the '80s specifically? Well, isn't that part of the book? Like, isn't is that answered? In yeah, the book? Or, oh, sure, but it's well, because because you just go, because oh, it's Ernest Cline, in it. right? But still, the, oh, the, okay. the entire you know, world would go. Halliday's got the answers. Because okay. that's Halliday's Arrested Development. He's he's only interested in John Hughes movies. He's only interested in all of the lore of the eighties. Because that's that's kind of where his development arrested. That and makes and it really he, creepy. That, like, yeah, yeah, it does, and, and he makes Halliday creepy too because he's well, recording his whole life and making everyone like study what I was like as a child. Well, that's that must be like, like the, the Kelly Heights point about it being be darker, a darker. Yeah. 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 Okay. But that's not in the book or the movie. We're we're supposed to love him. Yeah, Mark Rylance is supposed to be a lovable man-child. Right. Right, yeah. And he's like a cult figure. It makes me think of what David Eggers is trying to do in The Circle, maybe. Um, Right, and that's that's not in the book either. Like, he's not like a creepy figure. It's like, you're right to obsess over every little thing he said. Like, that's that's what you should be doing. Uh, Dingus, what you made me think of when you were uh, talking about you know the idea that this is how Halliday perceived things. There's a way to do that because when you were describing, it, I was like, "Oh yeah, that's really cool. They should do a movie like that." But I realized they have, um, and and this movie's full of pop cultural references also, and it earns them, and oh. I think it ultimately appreciates them. And yeah. and the the difference with this movie is it has a couple of very clever writers named Phil Lord and and Chris Chris Lord Phil Miller. Yeah, Christopher Lord. What are their names? Lord and Jump Miller. Street guys. <laughs> well, it's the Lego movie. Uh, yeah. Uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller did the Lego movie, and it's you know yeah. the you, you find out it's the kid believing he's the it's master builder, stuff. and it's why you know I know you guys didn't like the live action part, but it's why I think the live action part at the end of the movie is super important. But it's it's what you were talking about, Ning, is that this is how a world would be created if if this was Halliday's mind creating it, and the Lego right. movie does that with this little boy and him not understanding his father, not letting him touch these things. Uh, so and there's a emo- and, and there's more of an emotional touchstone as well in Guardians of the Galaxy as far as that music is concerned. Oh you know, God, that, oh gee, well that right yeah. off the bat, it's like yeah, this is why you're hearing this music, and it's a yeah. powerful emotional reason you're hearing this music, and that earns it. Yeah, absolutely, Dingus. Right. Yeah, and there's so so when you know when Sorrento. <laughs> Jesus Christ it says, you know, uh, you know, it gets told in his ear to say Tab, Duran Duran, and Robotron. Oh um, okay, <laughs> I don't believe that that the Mark Rylet that the Halliday character was listening to Duran Duran necessarily. I don't believe any. I mean, there are things yeah. that I don't believe about that, but well, that also I do believe I, that, that was, his. Go ahead. That was completely lost on me. Is that they loved this stuff because Halliday, and I'm sure the movie said that at some point, but. I didn't make that connection at all with the whole tab, and it's the, people love it because Halliday loved it. Okay, 
Right that's now. dumb too, though. Like that's what Halliday would want from you is to have the exact same taste. I wouldn't want that from. People well, I can't who... think of any analog for that short of some like cult <laughs> reference kind of thing. Like, like it reminds me. Uh, I don't. So that whole thing with David Koresh. Uh, David Koresh of the Branch Davidians. Mm. He loved, loved, and I thought about this for my under, but I would have to go back and watch it. I didn't have it in me. He loved the movie Lawnmower Man. So uh, the, the 135 <laughs> people, the 135 Branch Davidians, he made them watch it, and he would explain to them what he thought it meant and what role he played and how he was like Job in that movie. And so, so they love Lawnmower Man, and that's creepy. That's weird because he's a cult leader, and Lawnmower Man is junk, <laughs> but they don't know that. Like he was like the Lawnmower Man in the story more. Speaking of speech, night Stephen shift. King. Only Dingus gets that reference. That's fine. I'm used to it. <laughs> I noticed they couldn't get Jack Nicholson's likeness. Right. How about that? I was expecting uh, – that's that whole scene too. I'm watching. I'm thinking, what? Did they get – is Nicholson on board for this? Is that going to be the reveal? And sure enough, nope. <laughs> there's no Nicholson. It was interesting that, there's, it's a, that they have a black dude running – like Scatman Crothers. Well, you're your N-word cook, Kelly Wand. I, I hope people understood what that was a reference to, and it wasn't just you being weird. Like that uh, – yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. It's another bit about context as well. Yeah. yeah. But I thought of that scene when – when what's his name? Chutch? When Chutch is in there, I go, oh, is it going to be that part? <laughs> I was kind of like, wait a What's funny about it is when, it. when you read the book, the, his name is spelled – or her, his her name is spelled A-E-C-H – which you right. read as H, yeah. and then you realize it's H. And H turns out to be somebody who is constantly giving everybody nicknames based on one letter. So he's the one, she's the one who comes up with Z, calls her calls herself H. Oh, right, right, right. And, you know, invites H from school into this virtual chat room that is really exclusive because H is this super elite gamer which you see in the movie but also irock gets to go in there as well and irock's a total poser uh so th- i mean there's all these other character things that are going on there but but it's not chutch it's h you weirdo <laughs> it's connor <laughs> it's connor <laughs> uh so uh, so we like uh, what's her name lena no wait what was her name the actress who played h yeah lena wait lena wait right so we liked her uh, you know, poor Mark, Mark Rylance lathered over with CG for the most part. Uh, but let's talk about Ty Sheridan and Olivia Cook. Uh, I think it was Markets and Dingus who said that Ty Sheridan's avatar was more expressive than he was. Yeah, he had, uh, one, he had one expression is what. Uh, yeah, but we, we love that guy from Mud. Like, remember when he's a little kid in Mud, right? He was in Mud? Yeah, he was, he was in. That's Dingus's I thought he was in, also in Tree of Life, wasn't he? Maybe, maybe. Shall there was something it? else that I remember seeing him in, but I don't remember what it is. Well, so you guys don't know. Like, I, I don't like him because let's see. So mud. Uh, oh yeah, Asians yeah, you're Asian. right, Dingus. Tree of Life, even before mud. So he must have been one of the little kids in that. Yeah. Very good, Dingus. Is he the one who Brad Pitt has slapped him? I don't remember. He's one of them too. They're two little boys, and there was a great connection in that scene. I wonder if that was him. Wow. Yeah. Okay. The funny. The funny thing that I found out, and when I was talking to my son about this, uh, my son who really liked this movie, uh, was that he was Cyclops in the apocal in the X Men Apocalypse movie. <laughs> Ty Sheridan was Cyclops yeah. in Apocalypse. Yep, Jesus. believe it, believe that. What did anyway, you? What were you going to say, Tom? What did you? Okay. 
Oh, no, I, I just I, I like Ty Sheridan and I don't I mean, he's well, he, again, it's my problem, too, with with not getting it's to the see character. Maybe. Well, no, well, it's a, well, he's the character, I mean, it's a, that's part of the problem. But I, I you know, it's like watching poor little Chloe Moritz Grace in November Criminals. Like I, I still at least can salvage something from watching somebody's face and watching them try to act. Um, <laughs> I don't that's what she does. It's it's, it's kind of hilarious. Every, 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 yeah, I've seen. Yeah. Uh, but here's the thing: is that guy has. It's a it's a little mean to say that he has one expression because he kind of does. But uh, he's got a. There, there's a very clear like element of of someone who's been wounded and is trying to be strong. Like he's got this kind of quality to to him, which I really like seeing, uh, and it, it works for him in Mud. Uh, there's a movie that I've mentioned to you guys before, and I, if if you want to see a cavalcade of the best male actors in their twenties of this I'm generation. Just- uh, there's a movie called the, the Stanford Prison Experiment, and the Stanford Prison Experiment, you know, we we know is a real thing that happened, where uh, some people were put in in a living situation, and they were divided arbitrarily. You guys are guards, you guys are prisoners, and the the psychology of their interaction was studied, and some people feel that it. It became abusive for the test subjects, and uh, there was some fallout from this in terms of what ethical considerations do you have to extend to a test subject. Um, so this this movie, Stanford Prison Experiment, normally you would make a movie about it, and oh, it'd get out of control, and someone would get killed, or there would be a murder, or there would be a lockdown, and the guard act, the guard subjects would go crazy, and. Stanford Prison Experiment is a movie that is so good that it doesn't need to do that. It just deals with the interaction amongst the the, the subjects, which were all young men. Um, and Billy Crudup plays one of the, the guys doing the experiment. Olivia Thirlby is in it, Kelly Wand. Um, but but it, it's good enough, and it has a strong enough cast that it can just be about the Stanford Prison Experiment without sensationalizing it. And it's a really good movie. And Ty Sheridan, using that whole thing of somebody who's who's been wounded but trying to show strength, he is really good in it. There's several really good actors in it. Um, there's also there's a horror director named Christopher Smith. I think he's British. Uh, Dingus, you know him from a movie called Triangle. Uh, mm. He also did a movie called uh, Black Death. Which is a cool, uh, like yeah, a yeah. plague era kind, kind like of horror movie. movie. Yeah, Black Death is great. He did a, a comedy about uh, British people in an office going on a, a, a retreat, uh, and then murders happening called Severance. Um, but but Christopher Smith's last movie was called Detour, and Detour is um, kind of not very good, but fascinating. Ty Sheridan is the lead in Detour. And it's about him meeting a thug, a criminal, and wishing in front of this guy that his his mean stepdad, that he could kill his mean stepdad. And he's like, man, I wish I could kill my mean stepdad. And the thug is like, well, why don't you do it? Let's do it tomorrow. And they get drunk. He's like, yeah, we're going to do it tomorrow. And then naturally tomorrow comes around, and he's got to get out of killing his mean stepdad. Or does he? And there's this cool psychological dynamic that's going on in Detour where, wait a minute, did he do that? What's going on? Uh, and the guy playing has his antagonistic uh, thug friend who's going to impel him to kill his stepdad. Like he's a, a kid named Emery Cohen who I really like. Um, Belle Powley, a young actress, is in it. I really like her. But anyway, that was Christopher Smith's last movie, and Ty Sheridan was in it. He's really good. I love Ty Sheridan. I, I wish that, that he wasn't covered up by a cartoon in most of this movie. What color is Thirlby's hair? 
<laughs> she, she might be blonde, Kelly Wan. The, the, one of the cool Down things there. About, uh, how dare you? One of the cool uh, things about uh, Stanford oh, Prison hair. Experiment, as, as a period piece, it's great. Like the hairstyles and the fact that they're using cassette tapes and what they're wearing. Uh, it's a super uh, careful period piece as well. Um, all right, uh, Olivia Cook. What do you guys think? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Wan, do you know her from anything? Is she new to you? Uh, I'd like to, but... Not really. I was really zoning out a lot during the RL parts of this movie. Oh, come on. Me and Earl? Yeah. No? Me and Earl and the Dying Girl is a, uh, it should be a super cloying cancer drama, uh, but it's really cleverly written. Uh, Olivia Cook is really good in it. There's a kid named uh, uh, Thomas Mann, and I don't know who the actor was playing Earl. Uh, but the three leads in it are, are just really good. Uh, and it has Nick Offerman and a Siamese cat. Siamese cat. And she's so really good in it. She's, yeah. And unlike, what's the what's the movie with Anthem Elgort? His name is not Nuvnart. Nuvnart. Or Zagbob Vivalbomb. Uh, which movie? But the one where we oh where yeah we yeah uh, Shailene Woodley and uh, Hingledort Nimbert in Fault in Our Stars. Fault in Our uh, Stars. Yeah. Right? Unlike that movie, you get the feeling uh, in Me and Earl that that Olivia Cook gets uh, has the star power to yeah overcome what those other guys are doing. Even though the movie is essentially about them making these movies for this girl she's just so luminous that she kind of outshines them all and that's kind of my problem with her here is that i really like her as an actress and i love her vocal performance but she's far too beautiful for for him to have to say the line i'm not disappointed in you i mean that's just ridiculous (laughs) nobody would be disappointed in her thing is she has a red splotch on her face nobody could possibly That's, be attracted so to her. she's lived with that all her life oh god oh, god she she's trying to like cover that. it with her hair it's so gross it's just reprehensible it's horrid she's she's a beast yeah she's <laughs> filthy in the she's, book it's described as wine colored and that and he instantly likes it like he's like oh yeah it's oh, wait, so- they didn't even have the courage to do that because i know the look i like i know when a birthmark is like that they had to make it a lighter splotchy one rather than that wine colored uh jaggedy thing thereby cutting your movies point dumbass her avatar is also is also not the standard avatar because there's basically two female avatars in the book there's the standard model avatar which is the super skinny and sexy one that she appears as and then there's like the porn star avatar which is the the cinched waist with a huge bust line avatar that that female characters generally run around in and he he's kind of into her because she's this like she's short and curvy. She's all curves. So you get the sense of either Rubenesque or not quite Rubenesque, but she's, right. a, she's this, she's this curvy girl, but he's, he's into, into her for the, for reasons that she's a super amazing gamer. She writes this really interesting, clever, hilarious blog about all of James Halliday's um, archives, right. which are, which are called his almanac. Almanac, sorry, not his journal. They're called his Anorex Almanac, which is which is kind of a cooler name for it. But he loves reading her and reading the things that she writes. Right. He's really he's interested in her and who she actually is. He's he's interested in her brain, and he doesn't really he and he kind of grooves on the fact that she's chosen an avatar that doesn't look like all of these normal yeah. things, and, and they can't even bother to make that kind of 
He likes her cape or idiosyncrasies, and that comes across in the book. It's one of the few things that does come across in the book. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and that's one of the things, and even only reading a few chapters in, I got that feeling of, you know, he's supposed to be this fat kid with terrible acne, and of course right. they, they puff up Ty Sheridan's cheeks a little bit. Wait, in uh, the book, he's supposed, he, he's supposed yeah. to be a fat kid with acne? Yeah. He's a oh fat kid with acne who's bullied all the time, and that's why going to a virtual <laughs> school make, makes a difference for him. He doesn't have to deal with that. Now he's Spielberg. Oh my God. He's like a CG Spielberg. CG or <laughs> Oh, jeez. Well, like that you know, Yeah. You know, my, one of my uh, my complaints about Hunger Games was that all of these people in this starving culture look like super healthy kids from a reality show on MTV. Uh, and it's okay that the people here look a little bit plump, although I wish they looked more obese because – what they're paid in essentially from the government is food vouchers, which just gives them like fatty, gross foods that, that they can eat and they all get fat. Like what? Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly right. Yeah. Really good point, Tom. I didn't even think about that. It's exactly like Wally. And in fact, this movie is sort of stacked like Wally or like Idiocracy. Uh, but instead, <laughs> yeah. Ty Sheridan just is, is made to look a little, he, he gets to put on nerdy glasses and, and look a little puffy, and that's about it. Uh, and I understand for, the, for economic reasons for a movie why you have to do that, but I wish they would have made something smarter. You know? Did you guys recognize anyone from The Witch? Yeah. Really? No, you didn't. Really? Oh, yeah, I did. The dad, right? Oh, N- not the dad. He's the he's he's the, the uncle. He's the, one of the he's not the uncle. He's one of the oh. crappy boyfriends. Oh, right, 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 right. He's not one of the right. long the professions aunt, the of aunt's crack- boyfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. His name is Ralph Innocent. I love that guy, and I was hoping he'd be in it more. Um, he uh-huh. is a lot of fun. Is the villain in Hurricane Heist? Uh, oh. Uh, Rob Cohen just did a – he's the guy who started Fast and Furious before it right. got handed over to other people. But H- Rob Cohen just did a movie called Hurricane Heist with uh, Maggie Grace, Kelly Wan from Lost, um, and uh, Toby Kebble and uh, this guy from True – at any rate, uh, it's a it's – a, it's, it's a, I, love, I loved Hurricane Heist, but uh, Ralph Innocent is so much fun as the Hans Gruber basically in uh, Hurricane Heist. Does he have that accent? No, they let him be completely Irish. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, he, good. I, I don't know if he's I actually Irish or English. But him in this. Yeah. yeah, they're not trying to make him look like a redneck or an American. He's he's. I think his name might even be Connor. Actually, in the movie. Oh no. Uh, yeah. So no. So Tom, I know you hate Simon Pegg because of this Star Trek. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, Simon Pegg so and you, old people. I didn't know up. you. Uh, uh, Kelly Height says uh, that Simon Pegg was wasted. I don't know if she means he was drunk or he was just wasted in this movie. He wishes. Um, but uh, she had two casting notes about this movie. She loved it when T.J. Miller showed up, and she thought that Simon Pegg was wasted. What did you think? I know. I mean, I, I think she's yeah, right. There, yeah, there's nothing for him to do. There's no where he couldn't be. And I don't I don't hate him in Star Trek. I hate his weird little friend, his little uh, Ewan Frost. Oh, oh. Yeah, you that thing is just decide. creepy. It's not cute. It's not adorable. Get it's it out. I would, I would flush that thing out of an airlock if I was on a spaceship. It wasn't in Beyond. It was in all of them, I think. Oh, all right. Yeah, whatever. Uh, but no, I, li- I like Simon Pegg fine, and he, I, he was barely in this. I mean, and and then they put him in. What a role. Yeah. Wait, so they're supposed to be friends, and that's the closure? What's with Spielberg in third acts, dude? Jesus, like Jaws is the only good third act. Spielberg movie. No, War of the Worlds. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
Well, Kelly yeah, also, yeah. I mean, Kelly, Kelly Height, not you, Kelly, uh, kind of agrees with you there where she she says this is so sanitized, this Pollyanna version of a much more compelling story where everything works out in the end and the good guy wins by mm, without taking any meaningful damage. Yeah. Right. Or he's, and he's not even that smart. Like in the book, you go, oh, well, he sh- deserves to win because he does know all this obscure minutia. But in this, it was kind of Tomb Raider-y. Where, like, he's like, wait, that clue means drive backwards. This clue oh. means the shining plotted mansion. This clue. Like, and he's instantly, I don't know, there's no struggle or thought. For Alexandra, it was very much like the thing that Tom and I have often complained about. It was like, you've got a guy who thinks... And he's got this great brain, but in the end, it's just about who punches harder. <laughs> and, yeah. and she just – she was totally turned off by that. Like who – it's Some, just who punches harder, and then he's flying around in the van kicking people and stuff. It's just – can't they think their way out of it? And, and from her point of view, she's like, I guess it's hard to film things where it shows people thinking. You know, I didn't like that there were no asshole kids like in Willy Wonka. Like, Charlie Bucket stands out because the other four are such fuckwads. But in this, it's like, the corporation's evil, but all the gamers are on the same page, man. We're not... Like, if you play Overwatch for ten minutes, you'll you'll meet so many fucking people. You'll want to murder in real life. Like, just... you'll Like, rage quitting seems like a totally rational move. Like, fuck this game. Fuck you guys. Well, that's that's another thing, Kelly Wong, where I just think it has no insight into the concept of video games or virtual... Virtual worlds, you know, people yeah. are anonymous online, Twitter, even social media, where people have anonymity that that gives them license and cover for for being jerks. Uh, right. This movie has no insight into that, and that would be part of having an avatar and protecting your identity. Nobody knows who you are. We know what that does on the internet, and this movie just exactly, Kelly, one just glosses over it. None of that. The only evil thing in this movie is uh, the corporation. Yeah, I don't like that he has the only DeLorean too. Like that would be a hugely popular. Especially if, if Halliday was really into right. Back exactly, all the DeLoreans. That, that would have been hilarious. Yeah. Well, it has <laughs> nothing to do with Marty McFly. Like his, he just likes that movie. Like he's not, he's nothing like. The car doesn't do anything that the real car does, and he doesn't do anything Marty does. I don't right, know. Right, it's right. Like it's all the art shit. The artist picture on the on the back of the uh, Ready Player One book is Ernest Klein. Uh, slouching on the front of a DeLorean with oh, God. doors up. Oh, yeah. God. Uh, uh, is, I, oh, I hate that book so hard now. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, God. There's a movie called Game Over. I forget what it's called, but it's a documentary about the E.T. landfill myth, and they dig it up and they find the E.T. copies, and he's he goes there like he's given the DeLorean to drive. Ernest to Klein. It. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and he seems like a super nice guy that I don't want to read anything by ever. <laughs> but so, what did you? His second. What role. did you think of T.J. Miller in this? I thought he was funny. It's kind, yeah. of, a, kind of a lame part because he's supposed to be fearsome, like the enemy. But he's he's funny. He's like the funny joke. Well, that's relief. what I wondered about. Is are we supposed to? Is he supposed to really be supposed like be, a villainous? Because he, he's like funny and inept, and yeah. I mean, I guess he's supposed to be like he's supposed to be standing in for like all asshole gamers, right? I guess that's where you're. But the corporation, like they're. Like they they have all the money in the world. You think like their guy would be like the ultimate warrior kind of guy instead of yeah. like a doofus. Dingus, <laughs> you're probably our biggest well, T.J. Miller fan. What did you think of him? Were you did you need I, more I, of him? 
No, I, I loved him, but it, to me, it felt like somebody had watched Thor Ragnarok and just gone, "Oh, that Korg thing is funny. Let's do ah, that." Right, right. Was yeah. there it's time? Like a, it's like a super big mind. guy who just kind of goes, "Hey, look, my neck hurts. What's right. going on?" <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I That's just love that guy's voice. I like, I liked hearing him, and then I liked identifying him. And you know, my <laughs> son was like, I, I knew it immediately as soon as I heard him. You know, it's that whole voice, uh, that voice derby that you do when you, you're watching these kinds of movies that have animation in them. Uh, but it did very much call to mind how uh, Taika Waititi did it better in Thor Ragnarok. Even though that's not the same character, it's just that he's like this huge guy who's just got like this this weird voice. You know, it's it's different. I mean, it, it had a different feel to it, and and here he's just it doesn't it's dissonant. It's just dissonant. Well, I think it's just they were like, hey, T.J. Miller's popular. He's funny. Let's give him this voice. And well, why give, give him, him that jokes. part? Why not make him the friend? Why are you giving him like three? Which friend? Lines? H. Yeah, because we need H to be oh, oh like to have him do the voice of H and then have Lena Waite show up at the yeah. end. Okay, Kelly, want let's do it that way. Let's reshoot. Let's do some reshoots. <laughs> We're pulling it from well, theaters. <laughs> I like TJ. I think Silicon Valley sucks without him, but whatever. Right. It's just me. Did he like, leave Silicon Valley? Yeah. He got well, fed. he had a he had a I think he had a Me Too moment. Oh, that's well, right. But, I forgot about that. Yeah. That had nothing to do with the Silicon Valley. No, he, he just wanted more money, and they were like, all right, see ya. He didn't like the producer, and he didn't like Middle Ditch, supposedly. Like, he, oh, was, really? Yeah, he didn't get along with them, supposedly. It was a creative differences thing. Oh. Hmm. But I liked how but his I, character was so irrelevant to what was going on, like, more and more each season. Like, didn't he knew nothing about tech, and <laughs> I think it, I don't know, you needed a stoner character on Silicon Valley, now you don't have that, so it's not <laughs> as good. He represented something, and they've lost a piece, a crucial. Right. It's like doing uh, Office without Corel and just Tom. <laughs> JK. Um, oh, right. Like if everybody left the office but me, oh, that would be wretched. You would not want that, right? Well, you know. <laughs> you have the fat guy. Uh, I would love I, to see a sitcom called Gordon. Is that your name on that? Or was that – that was your West Wing? Oh, Oscar. I, I had to think, who is my name in, in the office? No, it was Oscar in the office, Gordon in West Wing, uh, Joel – Weissbrot in ER. And yeah, I have no I idea what Joel my guy's Weiss, name but... was in, in Beverly Hills 90210. I don't even think he had a name. But in Twister, it would have been Manly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at the end Manly of this movie, two. so the, uh, the the lesson of this movie is, of course, you know, spend more time. Oh, Jesus. Kelly Wan, come on. It's, a, it's the point of the movie. It's I don't like messages thing. in movies anyway. I think it's bullshit, and I think it's the wrong message for this movie, and I think it's the wrong message for those characters. <laughs> I think they're more fun in, in their world. I think that uh, uh, all I could think is, you know, if they're going to run LOL, as Kelly Wan puts it, if they're going to run it that way, I'm just going to start a new competing company that offers the service on, on Tuesday and Thursday. Tuesdays and Thursdays. Right. Like imagine yeah. if Apple decided, okay, all iPhones are not going to work on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I, you know, I just yeah. sell people uh, cell phones that work on Tuesdays and Thursdays. What's up with that? It would have been bolder if he'd said, you can't have the weekends. You can't play video games on weekends. Go. <laughs> like that would have been. Yeah, or every you... other every other hour. <laughs> <laughs> you have to log off every other hour. Yeah, I hate that. So who do we lay the the fact that you guys don't like this movie at, at the feet of? Because Josh Lovelinger says that it's the script. He thinks that 
it's Steven Victor Spielberg made the very best that he could out of it, but why did they bother? That's true. Making this really. out of this particular script. So <laughs> would you lay it at Steven Spielberg's feet, or would you lay it at Zach Penn and Ernest Klein's feet, or both? Uh, when he the stuff that's deviating from the books is actually the best stuff in the movie, as far as I'm concerned. Like I know what Kelly Height's saying about the world not being filled in, but the race is awesome and the date's kind of awesome visually, and that's Spielberg completely and nothing from the book. Yeah, Soren agrees with you on the about the date. Yeah, the date's great. Uh, Kelly, well, I would I would take issue with whether that's Spielberg. That's that's an animation studio at this point, and I don't think Spielberg like I. I Mm. I, I, okay, there, there, first of all, there's point. plenty. Of, there's plenty of blame to go around for why this didn't work, and Spielberg deserves plenty of it. Certainly, Zach Penn, and I, I don't, you know, I was assuming watching the movie that Ernest Klein's book must have been terrible. I don't know, but uh, I, I don't. I, like someone Spielberg, had to direct the race, dude. And story. Mm, that's it. not how it works. <laughs> no. Yeah. Right. I'm, so, I'm someone had to approve. I'm on, really wondering how animation is directed because it's ported out to so many different companies. Yeah. Right. Exactly. No. But it uh, felt like Spielberg. I, if you if you watch a movie, uh, the credits. If you stay at the end, you will note all these studios mentioned, and often different studios will do different sequences. It's not like they all work on the movie and one guy does one pass on the movie and another studio does another. This stuff gets doled out, and I wish in the credits it would say, you know, which studio did the race, yeah. which studio did the dance, which studio did the facial animation, because that's how some it, movies do that. You're right. You're right. Yeah, they should. I think they should all do it in the same way that you give an actor credit for his performance and the editor credit for editing. Um, so at any rate, I'm reluctant to say, based on his recent track record, that the, the excitingness back. of the, the race, the, Spielberg deserves much credit for that. He actually – do you guys know? He, he put this movie down to go do The Post. Like he, 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 well, he basically no. – yeah, didn't he, he like suspended production and then went and shot the post because it was already it was- in post by then, no pun intended. Yeah. But also for what it's worth, Tom, he huh? had a rule where he wasn't that he didn't want to seem like it was a vanity project. So supposedly none of his movies are in this movie. And Back to the Future, he allowed because he goes, "Well, I didn't direct that, so that's okay." So there's no. Why would he? Wait, why would he do that? I don't know. It seems like he's fucking the movie up that way, isn't he? Like yeah, with, I mean, he wasn't he, directing it, he could have the movie would be better by that standard. I mean, I didn't like the references anyway, but if I want, was going to do a, a kitchen sink you know, stew, you know, there would be some like ET and stuff in there. Yeah, I don't know. 80s Spielberg in this movie directed by Spielberg about 80s nostalgia. That uh, signed Spielberg. Yeah, that seems weird <laughs> so that, to me. That that seems like he should, I don't know that he should get credit for that. Just seems like an odd decision. If I was at what was this uh, Paramount Warner Brothers? If I was at Warner Brothers, I would have been like uh, Stephen. No, let us let us use your stuff. <laughs> but when I, it's like when I first heard he was doing the movie, I'm like, why would he want to do that book? That does that wouldn't be a good movie. And then when the race is happening, I go, oh, that's why he wanted to make this. He wanted he wanted us to see this in King Kong and shit. He wanted a chance to direct his King Kong. Right, right. And, you know, I, I could be being completely unfair. He might have been, like, doing a lot of elaborate storyboarding. I actually have no idea uh, how much input. But when's the last time that we got something as good as, like, the T-Rex attack in, in Jurassic Park? From War of the Worlds. Oh, War of the Worlds, right. When since War of the Worlds? Like, has he done a cool action That's scene? my answer. Okay. <laughs> That's my answer to your question. Well, I watched the opening – I tried just to watch the opening of, Indiana, of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. This week uh, and end up watching half the freaking movie. Oh, yeah. um, and there's a lot of cheesy stuff in that opening sequence, but you you get the sense of cohesiveness and of of it having a touchstone in the real and world. And you can 
And you can you can imagine the director being on set for all of that. And and I think to Tom's point, that that idea of like, well, who is handling the actual filming of these things? Whatever you want to, whatever you want to count as filming, because uh, you know, imagine you know Manchester by the Sea be you know a different person being in charge of each individual sequence well somebody did the stuff on the boat and we're going to give him credit for that and uh, <laughs> she did stuff in the hospital room and we're going to give yeah. her credit this for guy that. this yeah. guy directed casey affleck's monologue here this guy yeah. directed right. his scene in the police station right exactly yeah <laughs> so so, so it's farmed out to all these different people who do it all over the world and and so Kenneth Lonergan gets credit for the whole thing somehow. Right. So I think you make a really good point, actually, and it's it's kind of a little bit eye-opening to hear you say that, because what does director mean now? I mean, you know, I, I think of, again, going back to the Marvel Universe and Kevin Feige sort of directing the whole thing, even though he's this overarching producer. Like, what do, what do, those, what do these terms mean anymore when most of the movie is you know, an animated movie that is farmed out to hold the all different studios that might be all over the world. What does that mean? I think you could see that too in Pixar. Like you get, uh, is it Roger Lasseter? Like I, 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 I John Lasseter, John Lasseter, John Lasseter. Yeah. Like I can't track all my Pixar directors and I know Brad Bird did Incredibles with them. Um, but, but then there, there are instances of Pixar, like who's responsible for cars and you look it up and sometimes it's like, Oh yeah, that was John Lasseter too. Like I, I don't quite know what to make of the way that animated movies, and this definitely qualifies, right. are, are made these days. Uh, it's not the structure. You know, Hot we polish. grew up with this auteur model from the 70s, and that bled right. into the blockbuster model of the 80s and the 90s. Uh, and yeah, now I'm at a bit of a loss as to who deserves credit or blame a lot of the time. So it almost feels like the editor should be given as much credit, should be directed by, edited by. I mean, it, the editor should sure. be given as much credit. Because well, the person who's putting the movie together is the editor. And yeah, but it, yeah, but the you know the 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 structure as far as who has like final say is basically the director. Yeah. So okay. the the director and tells the editor what to do, and the editor has to sort of figure out how to satisfy the director. I, I mean, Dingus, you're right. Actors. I mean, man. So I don't know. What's but anyway, Spielberg. <laughs> there we go. The post, go. and now this. Were there any other listener thoughts that were <laughs> the post, the post, and now this? All right, there we go. Spielberg. All right, so that's a tagline for this movie. Soren has two <laughs> more taglines. Uh, they are going to have some um, uh, off-color language. So if you have kids listening at this point, please don't. Please turn them off. Uh, he says. Uh, he he gives a bunch of like things that he really liked about the movie, or that he did kind of like about the movie. Um, but he says, but really trying to focus on the good points of Ready Player One is trying is like trying to fuck in an ossuary. <laughs> I like he ended big. I like how he yeah. It explodes and then he said, fireworks. Uh, he says if that's rejected by marketing, his alternate is like drowning in nostalgia bukkake. Yeah, that's how it feels. <laughs> But that's when it's well, good. It's um, when the, it's when the nostalgia is not there that I'm, it's like, where's the new stuff that this will be nostalgized over? You know what I mean? That's lame. Yeah. 
Shut I mean, up, Kelly. I, I have no problem with nostalgia. I mean, I Dingus and I are both suckers for Force Awakens, and I fully yep. understand people saying, oh, it's just a remake of Star Wars. They're right. It's because J.J. Abrams understands nostalgia, and he understands, I'll just give you what I know you already like, but that doesn't mean it can't be good, and it doesn't mean it can't appreciate the context of the original. Right. And I, I, uh, well, this I, doesn't do anything like that. I think, I know, I think I know, your yeah. point – Regardless of my trying to defend like the Arrested Development idea of it, I think your point is very well made, and uh, of the of it lacking context and it being dead, basically. If the characters were more fun, like if TJ, if everyone was doing a TJ Miller thing, like in Thor Ragnarok, like if Halliday was really was genuinely wacky instead of just kind of bland and pathetic and vaguely benign, I guess is what we're supposed to take, like a, like a Star Wars prequel character. Like then it'd be more exciting, but there's just no good dialogue that I can remember. Everything's uh, a no, song. yeah, the the bit, the line about the corn syrup riots. Oh, okay, that's good. I really that's loved good. that line. I'm glad you picked up on that too, because I was like, whoa, what? Wait, what? I really liked that. But it's a non sequitur. You know what it reminded me of? Logan. No, it reminded oh. me of Interstellar actually. Ah, oh. the yeah, it's a movie every bit as good as Logan, right? Of course, turn our plates upside down. Tom looked it. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was the thing? Uh, he's got the he's got the conversation with the farmer about corn and corn corn syrup, doesn't he? Uh, yeah, 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 that's what I was thinking of. But but so Interstellar, the idea that uh, they're losing their soybeans and all that stuff. The only thing they are able to grow is corn, I think, in Interstellar. I think all of the all the other crops are being decimated. Right, right. There's like one other farm they reference over there that has like. Soybeans or something, and that one's going. Yeah, absolutely, Dingus. Yeah, Dingus. See, Dingus. Because see how good light. Interstellar is. You remember all that stuff. Uh, it sounds so fascinating. It really. Yeah, it's one of Spielberg's best movies. Spielberg really did a, a heck of a job on Interstellar. I, I cannot believe you would go there, Dingus. That is, oh, my, I cannot believe that. <laughs> you gotta see that docking sequence on a big screen. You know, though, I really, uh, uh, Tomb Raider director Roar Uthog. I really liked what he did in Midnight Run. I just thought Midnight Run. He was so good when he directed Midnight Run. That's that's that's. This is uh, try again. Come on, <laughs> come on. No, I, I flummoxed you. Admit it. <laughs> I, yeah, I am flummoxed. So if the I'm characters had smoked in the Oasis, Tom, it's not yes. real smoke, and therefore not causing carcinogens. Kelly Wand, I have one response to that. Do you think that's smoke you're breathing? <laughs> Five. All right, that's good. Yeah, and, yeah, and uh, that, that, I think that pretty much does it. Yeah. All right, so. Uh, let's see a movie that um, – so we're recording this a week after the the opening of Ready Player One. In Ready Player One's second weekend, it had its ass beat by a little bitty horror movie released by Paramount called A Quiet Place. Really? Doubled, yeah, yeah. A Quiet Place is am- – it, it it's insane how much money that made. I mean it's, it didn't – it's insane how much better that made than uh, I think Paramount expected. Uh, wow. it, it made a $50 million opening, um, and Ready Player One made $25 million in its second weekend. So A Quiet Place is, is uh, just doing bonkers, and we're going to do a podcast. Krasinski's writing. Well, you know, Kelly Wan, we'll check that out next week. We'll see how it did on CinemaScore and other places, and we'll get a Kelly Wan synopsis. We'll hear what Dingus thinks. He's had several people recommend it to him. Kelly Wan, you and I know our horror. We all love our Emily uh-huh. Blunt. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, join us for A Quiet Place next week. I'm Tom, Ch- <laughs> I'm Tom Chick. I've been here. That's me in that world getting killed. <laughs> 
I have been here with a Christian Hinkledork Nimbert. <laughs> it's Christian M. And Kelly Wand. Uh, remembrance of things past is not necessarily the remembrance of things as they were. Thurlby's hair. I prefer that we be more capable and prepared than lucky. Observation, reflection, faith, and determination. In this way, we may navigate the path as it unfolds before us. All right, and we have what? Eight more recharge cycles to go before we get to Oragai 6? Is that a question, yes, sir? Yes, Walter, that's a question. That is correct. Uh, I fell asleep during... This is a three-by-three three I just did. Bedroom windows, Solaris, and random hearts. How about you? For, for the record, I am not disappointed. Then we just didn't have sex, probably. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Take that, dingus. I just made fun of my sexual performance. <laughs>